0: Welcome to the wildest year ever covered in motorsport, in the space of 24 hours. It's been a hell of a week, but it's also Thursday. Welcome back to Motorsport 101, IndyCar Season Preview Edition. Yes, this is a milestone before a milestone. Welcome to episode 499 of motorsport 101 but golly that's a number and a half to wrap your head around 499 of motorsport 101 it's time also for the final edition of our pre-season season preview season thingy and uh, in it we're gonna we're gonna cover the last of the series we cover on this show indycar the 2024 indycar season which will be starting on march 10th in the streets of St. Petersburg in just over a week's time. So, yeah, that is going to be an interesting one indeed. And with me, as ever, uh, in my esteemed booth is Mr. R.J. O'Connell. How's it going, R.J.? I had to catch my partner
1: up on everything that's been going on the last couple weeks, because all she knows right now is that Lewis Hamilton's going to Ferrari next year. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of make things very, you know, she works for an actual Defosi. Like her, her boss is a genuine, tried and true Defosi from Ferrari, from Italy, who used to live near the Ferrari plant. Oh God! And wow. I, I know, I've heard reports that like he's not a big Lewis Hamilton fan. Well, he's going to have to reconcile that. But regardless, <laughs> yeah, I had to do a, we had to do a lot of catching up over the past week.
0: Yeah, it, it's been okay. a lot, and, and we'll, we'll get into the, the nitty-gritty after that as to why very much uh, very, very soon. But also joining me, he recently evaluated his level of rage at a 14 out of 10, which means we're going to get some good content today. It's Cam Barkley. Hello, Cam.
2: I don't even I want to be here. I don't even want to be here. I feel, like I, could, I feel like I could fight God right now, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so exciting, there's, there's just so much... <laughs> Well look, what a week, huh, Captain? It's Thursday. Look, look, we're, we're gonna give
1: Alex below all the flowers he's due once we get through the rest of this stuff, which I've, which now includes a calendar breakdown, every team by team preview, an existential crisis intermission because the vibes in IndyCar are very strange. Uh, we'll also have our preseason prediction, our preseason predictions
0: for everything that's gonna happen uh, later on this year. Gotcha. But uh, but first, because I think we're now dedicating the opening segments of the show to all the other cool stuff in Motorsport or not so cool stuff depending on how the news Extremely breaks. Extremely
2: not cool. We're bring, uh, keeping cool. it we're
0: bringing back keeping it one oh one, kind of. Yes. And uh but first first the good news. NASCAR gave us well, I'm, I'm, I'm almost locking it in now. The best finish in motorsport you'll see in 2024, maybe ever, um, at Atlanta Motor Speedway this past weekend, where Daniel Suarez from Team Trackhouse, Trackhouse, uh, won, ov- won by 0.003 seconds. The third closest finish in the history of NASCAR over Ryan Blaney, the reigning champion, and Kyle Busch in a genuinely wonderful feel good moment for the series as a whole we watched it on our discord server gents and we just lost our collective shit <laughs> um
2: i mean it was initially called to the ten thousand. and then you could believe it looking at it because the, the initial timing reading was 0. 0.000 they had to adjust it mm, uh, i mean all three all of the commentators got it wrong
0: Half the server split it wrong. Mike Joy couldn't call it. He he, he got the slow-mo. I mean, it was close enough where even a 60 frame per second camera on the start finish line, you'd be hard pushed to tell that Suarez won that race by maybe two inches. He
1: won it by the length of a splitter, man. And by the way, Daniel Suarez winning this is huge because for those of you who haven't been following NASCAR, Daniel Suarez does have a win already in his account. Prior to this race, but this is but this is a contract year for him. He had a tough 2023 season, and we know Trackhouse Racing is grooming other drivers to be the future of their team, namely Shane Van Gisbergen and Zane Smith. So all the pressure is on Suarez to perform, and by God, in a into the championship fight. He's locked into the playoffs, no matter what happens, unless we hashtag break the playoffs again um suarez has been excellent these first two races of the season he was unlucky at daytona but mm. he got the result he deserved out of this and what was genuinely like and i know a lot of this is weighted on the finish but when people who've been covering the sport for nearly 50 years say this is in the top five races that i have ever seen and ever covered they're all right for themselves look the finish of this made the sports center top 10 I know people are upset that it only got tenth, but do you know how rare it is that it that racing even gets into the top ten yeah, at it's, all? it's
0: the fact
2: that it even registered at all is the impressive <laughs> bit.
0: I used Did to we... watch them on I used to watch them on YouTube all the time, and motorsport would never be in a sports center top ten ever, not in a million years. Dude. So the fact it even made the top ten is, is some acknowledgement that you know NASCAR would not normally get, which is a plus on any yeah. level.
1: Yeah, <laughs> this is again one of those rare moments where NASCAR enters the conversation on good terms this time and Mm. it's not even really like it's not like the hail melon where i guess it uh, splits the room a little and how ethical that is no this was just a really really fun finish and if you are want to know what was closer by a thousandth of a second the 2011 talladega spring race where Three tandems, the triple cross. Y tandem, the triple Y tandem finish where Jimmy Johnson beat NASCAR commentator Clint Boyer over the line. And God, the tri-
2: you know, we just need to do something to stop Jimmy Johnson from winning all these races.
1: And the 2003 Darlington Spring race where Ricky Craven and Kurt Busch locked wheels over the line. Have you ever?
2: Well, no, I this, never.
1: Well, I think I've seen it a couple times now.
2: The last Indeed. great act of Pontiac. No Indeed, kidding. an but...
0: all time classic. To put it, to put it into terrifying perspective, Carl Busch was seven thousandths of a second off this win. He finished, finished third. third. <laughs> Dude, that's insane. That, <laughs> that, we, that we, might oh. be the cl- that might be the closest podium in racing history right there. You uh, you will be hard pushed so to It actually, it actually tire, is. It, it yeah. actually is. It beat a race from
2: uh, the go to old IRL days. Oh wow. Oh. Chill has just appeared in the room. Um, well, I believe Hornish won that one by uh,
0: the top three was covered by a hundredth. <laughs>
1: that's ridiculous. I that's, that's I don't know what to times,
0: say. Yeah, that's fifteen times quicker than the blink of an eye. If you want some rough perspective on how one hundred, we beat that by is. a factor of three. You, uh, it's immense, uh, immense <laughs> yeah. stuff. Incredible race. You gotta go out of your way. The whole the whole race is on NASCAR's yeah. YouTube channel. Look, the whole race is. A clusterfuck. Um, I, 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 could, I could not stress enough, but it was some incredibly fun racing in there. And yeah. the finish—you will be hard pushed to find anything. Also, shout out to Austin Sindrick going four wide and passing three cars in one move. Yeah, you will be hard I, pushed to find ultimate, a better pass this year. The only contender. Absolutely. Ugh. Holy shit. <sighs> Austin has bigger balls than you. Uh, official, um, no but he-, he, dress,
1: he dresses like a dork in the commentary box, But it's it's all worth it. He's a good uh, boy. You want to bring the mood down? Let's bring the mood down a bit. Now, of course, since we are talking about the Christian Horner investigation, we are going to be talking about uh, the the subject of uh, alleged sexual assault. Uh, so, if you do not wish to listen to it, which I totally understand, you can skip. You could skip to about. I'll- I'll put a timestamp
0: in the description. Okay. Um, So
1: So you can skip to this point in the podcast that Dre is going to, that's in the description right now, if you want to skip over it, but we do have some updates on the Christian Horner investigation. We got a lot in the last 24 hours, Dre.
0: Yeah. And there's been a mad 24 hours here in the world of F1 as the first day of the official season began with practice as we're recording this today on February 29th. Happy leap year day everybody. Um, Christian Horner was, I don't want to say necessarily cleared. The the language used was dismissed. The complaint against Christian Horner at Red Bull Racing was Mm. dismissed by the independent investigator after Red Bull completed their internal investigation of the incident. A supposed... Now, since then... Um, a supposed dossier of evidence leaked today, literally about four hours ago at time a of, time of recording. Um, a dossier of evidence was leaked today, out which as of recording now appears to have been largely, if not completely faked from an anonymous source that got every email of everyone important in the pack. Now, I'm including team principals, members of F1 staff, Stefano FIA and Stefano DiMenicali, the CEO of Formula One himself. So numerous, apparently hundreds of important F1-related emails were sent this information. Um, I'll let you in on a little secret. We have friends of the show that had access to this information. We've had a look at it. We can't verify anything, really, that's in these conversations beyond a reasonable doubt. And, that, and I say that with clear conscience and with no skin in the game, respectively. Now... Horner's since released a statement saying, and I quote, I won't comment on anonymous speculation, Horner said, but to reiterate, I have always denied the allegations. I respected the integrity of the independent investigation and fully cooperated with it every step of the way. It was a thorough and fair investigation conducted by an independent specialist barrister, and it has concluded dismissing the complaint made. I remain fully focused on the start of the season. End statement.
1: Where do you even start with these developments? Because I came into it... I th- I, I came through it, like, going into today before all this came out, think, thinking, well, the story's cut and dry. Yes, the complaint was dismissed, but the investigation itself seemed so opaque that... There's really no point to trust that
0: <clears throat> anything that went down in this. Two, the, the, for me, and I'll, I'll give you my personal feelings on this. The British media, that would, obviously where I'm come from, that how and how they chose to cover this story was largely hands off. They didn't touch us with a barge pole, for obvious, understandable reasons. Um, America, let's, let's just say, UK journalism laws are extremely tight infamously tight in this Mm. country and no one over over here who knows what they're talking about from a journalistic standpoint was risking their integrity by making any kind of grandiose statement that the dutch media did the telegraph came out with some wild shit pertaining to this um they just uh, while
2: everyone else was going on about uh you know general coercive behavior the telegraph just straight up leapt into and said it was sexual harassment
0: and that they'd seen the text in question, which again, we can't verify whether that's actually true or not. And the person leading that investigation, Eric Van Haven of the Telegraph, doubled down on that when the when the decision was rendered yesterday. Um and yeah, it's 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 so far out there compared to how anybody else, you know. Has covered it that, and as RJ alluded to, I completely agree with him. It's such a, it was such an an opaque investigation. We didn't get any kind of hint or rumbling about this before it even happened.
1: Yeah, as but, we said last week, Christian Horner was still out there serving as team principal, like nothing weird was going on during testing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, look, well, this is my general conclusion. Um. It's it's not ideal. It's 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 rough, and to say the least. And what's the best way of me word in this? Because this is this is tricky. I don't, I, don't, I don't want any of us to get sued here either. But as, as as far as we're aware, we don't know the full story of of this, and there is so much of a grey area in regards to a lot of this. Um, that we can't really comment in in you know beyond a reasonable doubt as our as spritz would say on any of it um an independent barrister looked at the evidence said that the complaint was dismissed that doesn't necessarily clear christian of wrongdoing it you know yeah. where, how people want to judge this evidence because look it's it's leaked it's gone out there unfortunately um yeah i just can't Yeah, this was a strange way
1: of leaking this.
0: Yeah, and we can't verify if the information is real or not, and I wouldn't want to. It's a rabbit hole that you could go around in circles with.
1: Like, in real
0: time, we're getting, like,
1: conflicting, like, reports of whether or not is this not real? Is this fake? Is this AI generated? Is this, you know, actually real? There's a couple of red flags that alarm me. First and foremost, like, who is this anonymous source? How did they get
0: all this contact information rounded up anyway? And that's a question of its. And it, and that's a question in of itself. I mean, as we said on our season preview last week, like Jenna Fryer put it out there publicly, or with, via the Associated Press, that there was rumblings that this was the embodiment of a power struggle between. To two sides of Red Bull's corporate ownership, the Uvidia family and the Mattiswitz family. Um, Mark Mattiswitz, Dietrich's son, now owns that 49% stake that Dietrich used to have, and the Uvidia family owns the other 51 where people's allegiances lie in pertaining Christian Horner running the team and what side of the fence you're on. Jenna paid that public. She had, a, she had enough confidence in that rumor or speculation to put it out there on public record.
1: But she was also the the at least one of the first people that we saw that pointed out there about this this dossier, this Google Drive folder, uh, being sent to, ev- all damn near everybody with an F one
2: hard card. Anyone that could get their hands on.
3: Yeah, like
1: we know people. We know people that that now have this document and like, even like from an hour ago, I don't even know. But like there's one thing that I know that is for sure is that there is a complainant, an alleged victim in this case, that to our records has had their personal identifiable information leaked. And all of this is just gonna it's gonna muddy the water for everybody involved. If the complainant has to take further legal action. It's not going to help their case. And this is not going to help the case for anybody else that faces harassment in the workplace. Because if this turns out to just be the work of a bad actor, it's only going to embolden the stance of the worst people who believe that every accuser, every high profile accuser who's out here blowing the whistle on people is lying they want attention they want to cut a money as compensation out of a settlement or something and that's i don't like that it it brings back vibes to it brings back vibes to and and we know that like and looking back on it the kirkwish thing was very funny but i also think back to like you know this is good now that this has been proven to be false uh the kurt bush thing not the horner thing we still don't know how that sits that's that's gonna make it that's gonna mean like everybody has a red rag well well what about this case and you can't prove that they're not lying and i don't like that
3: you know
1: i i typically i think we all typically side on you know believing the stories of the victims first Absolutely. If it turns out that, you know, they're lying, you know, I'd rather I'd rather defend a liar up front than, you know, a sexual predator, a sex pest, a, a
0: bully, someone like that. You know, that's yes. that's easier to
1: reconcile
0: with. And I, I'd like to add on my own two cents on that. And I put this out on Twitter and I echo my own sentiment here. On any level. Any private investigation having its documents and details leaked is bad for everybody. There is nothing good that comes from that. Like, you, all, like I, I get it. There's a, someone out there clearly has something has has a gun out for Christian Horner. Clearly, rightly or wrongly, that that opinion is ultimately down to you. On any level, a private investigation's details and documents being leaked to the public is. Horrible optics. It is. It compromises everybody involved in that investigation, and it compromises and challenges the integrity and safety of the entire process as a whole. A flex for vigilante justice to do something like this is not the flex that you think it is. It is not it's not great on any it's it's horrible in any way shape or form it's one step away from revenge porn and i'm sure many people know of high profile stories in the uk most people know about the stephen bear instance that that was in court a couple of years ago over like neat like over like leaked pics and 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 you you get the gist of what we're talking about here i'm sure it's not very hard to search up similar cases this no, is, I this, agree. is one, like, this is one if, this, if it mean, does if
1: it does turn out to be if it does turn out to be real um like we're as again we're getting kind of conflicting reports where just a couple hours ago we were thinking no this is all fake and now we're getting sources that's saying oh hang on a second there's actual smoke to this I don't know how this is going to play out but like yes if it does all turn out to be true and Horner's deposed then like good we We got rid of a man who was unlikable before all this, that was leading a team that, you know, was winning all the time that nobody likes. But even still, there are unintentional and equally damaging consequences that come out of the way of all this has been handled.
2: This is a private investigation and now one way or the other, whether the evidence, I mean, we've heard from FIA accredited media that it looks very fake. We've heard it that it, there's real pieces to it. Um, what it does is it puts a, a private investigation out there in the open, and that damages any future legal case that might have come from this. That was probably going to be the real telltale as to well the, where there was something more to this. What in the statement that Red Bull Red Bull Grader, not Red Bull Racing, put out, it said that the complainant had the right to appeal. Well, now what happens with that?
0: Yeah, it's. This is not the end of this story. Um, I'm almost certain of that, um, and unfortunately, nothing else really is at, at this point. It's. 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 It. In. In. In any case, it's an ugly story that is just now gotten even uglier and there will be consequences and ramifications that will be widespread and i'm sure we'll know about it in the coming days weeks months pertaining to this case because now all bets are off because unfortunately an internal workplace dispute has now gone very very public um and once once the genie's out of the bottle you can't put it back in again there's 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 no getting around this now So goodness only hope that the people involved um, are protected as best they can be. Um, And like I said, data leaks and information leaks like this are never good. No matter what the subject matter is, no matter how you feel about someone, these processes and due diligence is in place for a reason. And moments like this are the reason why, are exactly why those reasons exist. Um in to close this segment up, a, a word from Doctor Who, one of my favorite shows, one of my favorite episodes of that is a good man goes to war, one of Matt Smith's finest episodes where he says, Good men have rules, today's not the day to find out why I have so many. God help us all. On a brighter note, well, slightly brighter note, I suppose, let's get into our twenty twenty-four IndyCar season preview.
1: First, let's look at our calendar for the season. Uh, none of the dates have changed uh, from the last time we checked in on the calendar when we were doing our 2023 season review. But just to hit the fine points, there is a new non-championship $1 million challenge all-star race at the Thermal Club in Southern California on March 24th. Uh, this this round has split the room, uh, shall we say, even several months after it was announced that's coming up in a few weeks time. We also have a 3 week break in late July for the Summer Olympic Games in Paris which I know we're we're going to be watching these as a family. We like we we love the Olympics, man. Cool speed. Mm-hmm. Now we also have the Milwaukee Mile finally back on the calendar. It's a doubleheader. It's two 250 lap races and both of them will be sponsored by Our saviors at hy supermarkets, we've learned. Uh, This increases, that adds another two ovals to the calendar. Uh, Laguna Seca has been moved to June, uh, and obviously Laguna Seca has been in the news for, for reasons, including the fact that very wealthy property owners want to try and shut the place down, which is ridiculous
0: fun fun fun
1: oh yeah and also uh as of last update hybrid powertrains are still likely to debut after the indianapolis 500 if not this year then in 2025 don't worry we carved out a whole section for that we want to get into but Mm Dre, i said the dates haven't changed and i said the general venues have not changed but but for one at the very end of the calendar
0: Yes, and this is the big one that I wanted to get into now because there's a lot of, like... There's a, I, I'd like to think when I was writing my season preview for this, a lot of the preseason hype and talk had kind of blended into one, and it's centred around this final round calendar change in Nashville. Now... If you've been following the Nashville uh, race over its short history, there's been numerous complaints about its very existence and the logistics of it, which have not been ideal. I mean, RJ's been to a couple of them, and he knows it's, it's not been straightforward. I haven't been to them. Like, I've, but, 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 I, I wanted to go to one of them, but,
1: you know, budget didn't happen.
0: But you, you've heard enough from other people that we know and trust from the, that have been down there, and it can be a bit a bit messy somewhat. Um, well... It turns out because of the NFL, um, because the, the, the Tennessee Titans in the area are getting a new stadium built, um, seemingly due for completion around 2027. Um it turns out that the streets of nashville are kind of a no-go going forward um in fact them um, their promoters pretty much come out and said the idea of a broadway race is now pretty much dead in the water because it, it's been a logistical nightmare since they've taken over yes this is the same person who signed an old contract of one taylor swift at big machine records mm. um yeah it, you know if, if you know them and you're a swifty you know how contracts are uh, complicated matter a big machine anyway point i'm getting at here is that the season finale on september 15th that was going to be on the streets of nashville has now been moved to nashville super speedway don't let the name confuse you it's not really a super speedway it's a mile and a third it's a bit weird like that And
1: don't let the name confuse you this isn't in nashville this is in the the town of lebanon which is quite a ways away from the heart of nashville itself it's a it's a suburb
0: yeah and yeah it's so so it's it's you know it, it's not as advertised this is the nashville at home and yeah for those of who've been keeping score at home it now means the amount of ovals on the calendar has increased to seven on the year once you factor in the milwaukee's two races being added on august 31st and september 1st respectively we now have seven ovals on the calendar likely that will be a hybrid race as well obviously because again we don't know exactly when the hybrids will debut but they're expecting it to be middle of 2024 somewhere so you'd assume nashville super speedway will be an oval hybrid race around the one one and a third mile um, track. I guess it's kind of a hybrid oval in a sense, given it's one mile and a third. Yeah, what this does
1: is effectively (laughs) gives us the kind of fast oval that we were missing with Texas. And ironically, both Texas Motor Speedway and National Super Speedway are both owned by Speedway Motorsports.
0: Yeah, funny line, isn't it. Um, <laughs> so that is the situation as of time of recording. Um, like, like I mentioned before, the odds. It looks like they're never going back to a Broadway star race again, by the sounds of it. Um, logistically, it's just too much of a of a difficult task, and the locals apparently are not keen on the idea of having part of their restaurants and streets converted into hospitality and uh, things to support a paddock, etc. Um, so, yeah bit of a messy one um but that is now the new season finale on september 15th and you you're a former nashville native rj you know this you know these streets and you know the area better than yeah, the we're us combined.
1: spreading misinformation on the internet i frequented <laughs> nashville a couple times i never lived in nashville i've lived in chattanooga that's two hours southeast though i have been to nashville several times it's a fun city um Close enough. <laughs> i'm
2: this he has visited isn't, it. It's practically it's his hometown. They, it's...
1: so this is not going to be the Las Vegas Grand Prix style, big ticket, heart of the city street race that you know they envisioned. Um, it's going to be at a super speedway that had some decent racing in the mid two thousands, but like with any IndyCar oval race outside the five hundred. The people have got to show up. I
3: hope, and I know that's
1: easy for me to say with all the money that I currently don't have and haven't budgeted the travel just yet. But like, I I worry that unless like they do some really good stuff to try and get people through the gates and get people watching, I know we could touch on a lot of this in our specially carved out existential crisis intermission that. They may not come back once this contract ends after 2026.
0: They're not the only ones
2: in that respect.
0: No, there's a lot hanging up. There, there seems to be a lot hanging up in the air regarding 2026 in general and this, the future of this series beyond that, which we'll get to halfway through the season preview roughly. We have carved out a special section for it. The, I mean, when... Racer.com are basically writing as near as it's worth an open letter basically saying this has to succeed for the sake of the series, for the sake of the hybrids that are incoming, for the sake of Nashville as an area, and obviously there's always going to be a little bit more anticipation and a little more hope because it's a season finale. You want it to be a big deal. Of course you do like any sports event, any sports league would want their final week to be uh, extra significant. Ideally, it seems like they're hedging a lot of hopes on an, an, an experimental kind of round here in the sense of we've not raced around this track since I like, want to say 2008, um, yeah, 2008
1: was the last race at Nashville Super Speedway. The track that NASCAR fans have widely raved is, why aren't we going to Nashville Fairground Speedway instead? Which is the shorter oval that's actually closer to the city, though it is not suitable for Indy cars because it is about, you know, a half a
2: mile long. Yeah, right. So Completely suitable race... for these cars.
1: Yeah. So, I understand why they made the move. Um, I just... It's going to be different, and they got to make this work somehow.
0: I hope it does for the sake of everybody involved. Like, I know a lot of people love ovals. I know a lot of people have wanted IndyCar to have more ovals on the calendar. They haven't got an excuse now. We've gone from five to seven this year. Um, Really, in that theory, I hope people take that onus and make the extra effort to try and show up to at least one of these. And of course, especially Nashville, because there's a good chance. We're not going to have an early championship winner here. It will be all to play for most likely in Nashville, unless Alex Polo curb stomps the field again, which who knows at this point, but you know, there's a reason why early championship wins in IndyCar are rare. They're basically unicorn poop. So there's, there's a good chance, but a better than a coin flip chance that this goes to the wire. So, Yeah, I hope that's enough incentive and I hope the locals get enough promotion down and they figure out ways to get people through the gate for everybody's sake. Because like, the idea of Nashville being on the IndyCar calendar for three years now and there's been significant problems that have been brought up with all three of their races so far, assuming it goes badly, which I don't want to assume, but uh, heaven forbid it has a poor turnout or something like that, yeah. it's not going to go down well, given that there's still two more years on a contract that likely won't get renewed if this keeps causing problems and headaches from an infrastructure and we, and we from know a that, logistical standpoint.
1: And, and we know, sorry, but uh, we know that like Nashville Super Speedway can fill the grandstands because their NASCAR races have been sold out.
3: Mm.
0: But they're not NASCAR. And that's the problem. It's. You know, I just um, realized
1: we preempted an IndyCar discussion with talk about NASCAR.
0: Golly, this feels, you know, so very familiar with
1: the world of American oh. motorsport. But let's talk about our. We do have some part timers locked in as of the end of February uh, for the Indianapolis 500. Of course, I have Kyle Larson, the former NASCAR Cup Series champion, driving for McLaren and associated with Hedrick Motorsports. The two Triarion Ball Racing cars are already locked in for the 500. They are Ryan hunter Ray in the 23 and Connor Daly in the 24. Abel Motorsports is back with R.C. Anderson trying to make the race again. Uh, we also got word that brand new Honda Racing Corporation executive advisor Takuma Sato and also two times race champion Takuma Sato is back with Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing, the team that he won the race with in 2020, driving the number 75 car. Marco Andretti's back with Andretti Global in his signature 98. Elio Castroneves is making at least one more run at the 500 with Meyer Shank Racing, the team he now part owns. And Christian Rasmussen will have his own car for the 500 as part of his partial rookie season at Carpenter. will get his own Carpenter car. Christian Rasmussen will get his own car for the race. And it is very likely, unless
0: we get some names dropping out, <laughs> that there will be a proper bump day for two cars this time as it stands we're at 35 entries for the 500 there's alleged rumors according to Marshall Pruitt, that Foyt might lease out their spare chassis but they would need quote a compelling offer um from a driver for them to take that option up so i would say there's a good chance the field you're looking at is final. So we're looking at likely 35 entries. And of course, as you know, only 33 make the show. So it's looking like it's going to be a bump day for two cars rather than one compared to last year. Um, So two big hitters are not going to make the show. Um, So yeah, bump day will be returning and it's going to have double the drama this year.
1: I'm looking forward to it. That's the beauty of the Indianapolis 500 because while Lamar's invitational, Formula One doesn't want to invite everybody else, and NASCAR works on a charter system where no big-name team is at any danger of racing a race, you know, everything's up for grabs at the Indianapolis 500. But we'll put a pin into that and jump right into our first team preview. And as these typically go in reverse championship order or reverse power rankings, uh, oh, we have to start at A.J. Foyt Racing yet again.
0: Uh, For our friends and yours at AJ Foyt Racing are back for another year. And by vibe check, when I wrote this cheat sheet that I put up for this guide on the podcast, I put Foyt first. You're welcome. Um, Returning um, in the number 14 car, Santino Ferrucci. He was 19th in the standings last year. And as a new driver in a newly revamped number 41 car this year, did you pray today? Because it's Stingray Rob, courtesy of pray.com. He was, He's returning to the grid. He was 23rd in the standings last year. And I love the baby vomit yellow his car has been painted in for the occasion. You love to see it. And by you love I mean, to see chrome, it, I mean, chrome it's baby vomit yellow. Chrome right. baby vomit, of course. And so everything is chrome in the future. You know that. And there's, there's one elephant in the room here regarding AJ Foyt. Benjamin Peterson was meant to be in that second car. Uh, Benjamin Peterson himself tweeted like he was going to be in that second car and that uh, Stingray Rob was going to be his new teammate and it turns out under the table it looks like Peterson was bought out of the remaining year of his deal to facilitate Stingray Rob coming in who we all know um, had nuclear levels of funding from uh good, f- good friends, the Catholic Church um, so uh, yeah I I I you dynamics type beat. So, sorry, sorry. I'll be I'll be more sarcastic next time for you, Cam. On it's an audio Jesus. platform.
3: <laughs>
1: um, yeah, that's that's tough for Benjamin Peterson, who, when he was good, looked decent. When he was bad, looked completely unfit for purpose in IndyCar. It happens sometimes. I hate that he got bought out like that, but. If if AJ Foyt Racing was going to in the first year of a new Penske Alliance, going to wheel out a lineup with Benjamin Peterson as the senior driver next to Stingray Rob, that's not a serious effort. I hate to give it to him, but Santino Ferrucci is
0: going to be the man that steers the ship. They they can't get a better driver. There's there's no getting around it here. Foyt are at the bottom of the barrel. They are not an appealing prospect for a, a for for a driver that doesn't need to bring his own funding to the table. And Ferrucci, like love him or hate him, he is the best thing that's happened to this team in a couple of years, including that podium finish at the 500 last year. The, he drove incredibly well um, that 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 entire 500 fortnight. I just wish he was able to showcase that more often because the Kai is fast round ovals. We've always said it about Santino Ferrucci. Um, the well, well, last the, year was faster the on the
2: 500. The other yeah, ovals, it, uh, not so much.
0: Yeah, yeah it's like Furi had a very good 500 package and they had a very good super speedway package, but they were crap everywhere else. It's just yeah. weird, very weird.
2: Singary That's Ron. thing when the 500 uh, matters yeah. more than every other race put together. And then times mm. two. Uh, So is Stingray Rob
1: actually an improvement over Benjamin Peterson? I want to put that question to you because, like, his peaks were not as high,
2: but his valleys
1: were not as crushingly low.
2: I think he's a more consistent – he's more consistent terrible. Like, he last year got into a couple of incidents – And a couple of them were not of his own making but he was just Mm -hmm. there he was extremely there all of last season
0: there's some quick googling from my old season review from last season stingray rob's average finish in the field was 22 last season yeah he was probably on he was safer i would argue than benjamin peterson who had many a goose up very publicly in IndyCar last season, but it doesn't get over the fact the guy was dirt slow. He never got out of round one in any qualifying format last year. His overall pace was poor. And And that was probably an objectively better team than this. Yeah. And that was with Dale Coyne, who are probably a little bit better than Foyt on paper. um, I would say in terms of resources and output. So, Rob's going to arguably an even worse team and setup right now. I mean, yes, it is now affiliated with Penske. So Team Penske might be helping out from an engineering and development standpoint a little bit from behind the scenes, which might help. We'll have to see how outward that is. We'll have to see if that goes anywhere. But on any level, it doesn't exactly fill me with confidence about this team because it's, it's – is it really like, – Stingray Rob is – I argue a bit better than Benjamin Peterson was last year, but it's not a game-changing upgrade. It's, 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 for me, it's an almost like-for-like like swap. And no, they've not really
1: had a game-changing driver since they had Sebastian Bourdais and Tony Kanaf before that. And I'd just like to remind everybody, it has now been almost 11 years since Takuma Sato won the Grand Prix of Long Beach in 2013. That is AJ Foyt Racing's last victory in the IndyCar Series.
0: Not good. Not good. Um, I hope the Penske affiliation does them a a solid, because it will be nice to see the team name of AJ Foy back up the field again a little bit more, but (laughs) we're now going on 10 years since their last win. 10. 11. Uh, 11. God, it's just... It, 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 it makes me feel just sorry for him I know there's a lot of hard-working people in that team that are not going to get any kind of flowers for the amount of work they're putting in and it just makes me sad because this team is just going nowhere quick and Stingray Rob is not going to change that unfortunately as, as much as I'd, I want him to. There's been nothing from his time in the top in the top flight so far to suggest otherwise, and that's deeply unfortunate. The,
2: the only thing they, they they I think they're really looking forward to is to try and put together another strong 500 Um, and of help. course the 500. I mean, that's the race that matters. If you're going to be good at one race, you're going to be good at the 500 ideally. But for a season long perspective, uh, no longer being double points, that really take some of the shine off for their whole year if they have that one good race and not a whole lot else to show for it
1: definitely um speaking of teams where the vibe is weird and they had a very awkward firing let's get into yunkos hollander racing who mm. brought back augustine canapino the multi-time turismo Carretera champion in the number eight car he was 21st last year in the points and brought in Roman Grosjean, late of Vandretti Auto Sport and Dale Point Racing, into the 77 car previously occupied by Calamylot. Grosjean was 13th in the standings last year with a couple of podiums. But I brought up this point, Dre. You you Ricardo Yunkos and Calamilot apparently were getting along like peanut butter and explosives. Ricardo was ready to fire Calamila for insubordination during the 500 weekend. And eventually he was let go. But we may talk about him a bit. And he brought in Romain Grosjean, who throughout 2023 was reported to be <laughs> kind of Basically, insubordinate within his own team.
2: Yeah, kind of lost his ride and his contract extension that was on the table with Andretti Autosport through being abusive towards his team. Well, this seems like a match
0: made in heaven that was the first thing i put on my list um because the vibes just felt off from the start kind of my lot is the best driver that jinko's ever had he was a genuine bright talent he was being scouted and looked at by every team on the grid people know that the former ferrari f1 academy driver and uh formula two championship runner-up was a very very esteemed talent um was 12th at the 500 last year as well a very solid result given where jinko's standing is in the field a couple of top fives in there last year as well Start on the back of the year. Canon Mylot was a very, very gifted driver, and it's a shame he is not on this grid. Don't uh, get me wrong; his loss is absolutely joked as gain in, in in the W in the WEC this Thank upcoming you. season, which starts this weekend, and, and another another Infinity Stone in in Cam's Porsche gauntlet. He so can't to speak. keep getting away with this, Gray. I can, I and I will. It's but- infuriated, but in, on any level, look. What I will say is, on paper. Romain Grosjean is a great coup for this team. Oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. Like, it would have been a damn shame if he was off the grip. Like, regardless of how his form torpedoed at the end of last year and regardless of how he was on his bad days, like, he should be in this series for at least another shot.
0: I agree, and for me, Grosjean was the best driver in IndyCar until we got to the month of May last year. He was outstanding. in the, That that early stretch was proof that the man belonged. He could win races. He could score pole positions. He could do it all with a good team underneath him. And then when the cracks appeared, it all just fell out. Un- uh, the arse fell out very, very quickly on his relationship between him, Michael Andretti and the team. That's more than abundant to see. As far as I'm aware, they're still... Under the table, potential future legal proceedings going on between Grosjean and his team, um, in regards to compensation, potentially on that contract. It's not it's not got to a courtroom yet, but it still might do in the future. It's worth pointing that out. But on raw talent and ability, this is a coup for June coast Grosjean is an outstanding driver. There is no. thing the, the, the about Louis Grosjean?
1: Is never that he was slow. It's always just been about the yeah. temperament.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's exactly the word I was going to use, temperament. If he can keep his head on, he's an immensely talented driver and he could be a difference maker for this Jinko's team. I have no doubt he could also replicate what Callum did and score top five finishes if he can get this car dialed in and dialed up because Callum was proof it was possible. Um, and I would put Grosjean on that same level of talent if if the right circumstances come, come his way. But he's also got to remember, it's not your team. It's Canapino's team. We all know it's Canapino's team.
2: (sighs) If he starts doing the Canapino, what Isla was last year, this team's going to tear itself apart.
0: Yeah, like it's, we all know that, Canapino's late father was very close friends with Ricardo Junco's, and it was it's his team in all but name. Canapino was always going to end up here at some point in IndyCar, and that's no disrespect towards Augustine personally, who's been a breath of fresh air to the series in terms of personality and vibes on a whole. He, he's a great like, guy. I think he got he got
1: brought, he got I think smeared unfairly when all of this fallout between Ayala and Junkos went down.
0: I the agree. worst you could the worst you could accuse him of was he was being a bit sneaky with his likes on Twitter but beyond that uh, he hand, he kept his head down largely kept quiet and did, he was not the catalyst or the protagonist in that story between Ricardo Junkos and Callum's falling out that was Ricardo in my opinion I, I, yeah. I think his management was poor uh, of, of the situations that befell him last year Canapino was not the problem it might be a political problem for this team coming forward. Cause you've got, uh, you've got two fiery personalities in Junco's and Grosjean now in the same roof. And Grosjean's going to want clout because he's come from a big team to come to Junco's. He's got a Lamborghini hypercar project seat as well, alongside that part time. Mm-hmm. And he's Romain Grosjean. He's still arguably the biggest name in this series on raw name recognition alone from yeah. his F1 background. Like, That might not mix with a team that, let's be real here, is kind of built for Canapino's sake. That's the issue I I have.
2: Imagine, if you will, if you watch Aston Martin in Formula One and the same thing happens as last year, where Alonso just takes stroll to Gaplebees, And instead of accepting that, the team just starts self-destructing in response. Um. That... Re- and I I have faith in Grosjean's ability as a driver. If nothing else, the speed. That that is a very interesting tight wa- or uh, tight that they're going to have to walk this year.
1: Now, for Canapino, just on like nuts and driving shit. What's going to be like an acceptable level of progress for him to uh, to keep a seat on merit? Because there's another factor that we have, in fact, in this that, that, yes, this may be Canapino's team, but we talked about it in MotoGP, Ricardo Mille, you know, that big, strong, libertarian, no corruption kind of guy is cutting back a lot of funding for sport. And you see a lot fewer Argentine tourism related sponsorships on Augustine Canapino's 78 car this year.
0: Yeah, there's no getting around that. Like Canapino has been one of the casualties of that. Let's not forget IndyCar was planning to have a post-season exhibition race at the Termas Rio del Hondo in Argentina later this year. Yes, the MotoGP track, for those who might be unaware, that was originally cooked up on the plans for November of this year. And ironically, November last year, when President Miele took over in Argentina, the plans for that race evaporated. I don't think that was a coincidence somehow. So yeah, if you want a a small look into the impact of the butchers uh, impact on, on Argentine sports promotion, there's an idea as to how that's going to be. And Canapino may have to lean more on his merit as a driver than the sponsorship in order to get by this year. He was 21st in the standings last year. His car got in the leader's circle. That was a good achievement for a rookie who was a complete novice to these cars going in. He might have to be thinking about maybe top 18, top 15, that kind of area. to you know to, to, If he wants to keep it on merit alone because... It, it, it's going to be an intense competition. We've got more full-time entries than ever, and there's still a lot of talent in this series. And I think there's there's going to be a few dudes that I think might surprise some people. We'll get to them a little yeah. bit later. Um, there's some very talented drivers in this field, even on the lower end of IndyCar scale on paper. So yeah. canipino has got to hold his own. And because if he, if his champion position starts with a two again this year, there might be some difficult conversations had.
2: Well, and especially when, like, last year, his, his first half of 2023 was, by all accounts, for a brand-new rookie, quite good, but he cratered hard in the final quarter of the season.
1: But he got it back around in Laguna Seca. Again, I think the, the, the most zealous of his fans were angry because that was a top-ten finish that went away for him.
0: Yeah. He was in top five for a good chunk of Laguna Seca. He was right up there, and he, on, on merit, um, the way the pitch stops shook out, and unfortunately, it was his own shortcomings as a driver that led to this ultimate falling down the order a little bit. Um, yeah, I think I think he's got to be at least two or three spots better than last year. If he's if he's in the twenties again, still in championship finishing position, it, there might be some uncomfortable competition. Because let's not forget as well mclaren are now affiliated with this team and but what do they do we, 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 the, but that's the weird part of this we don't moral really support know. they they initially said they're going to loan some engineers that way and loan some resources their way in sort of a tech partnership i think there's half a chance this team gets assimilated into the borg in the next couple of years or so um, Yeah, because More McLaren won four contracts cars. for everybody Let's, let's be let's be aware. we all know mclaren's made no secret about this they want a four car team and they've got three this year but they've openly they're moving into the to andretti's old space very soon they want a fourth car it's they like were gonna
1: have a fourth car
0: until they didn't um now we'll get again more on that later but it's it's like that scene in lock stock and two smoking barrels where bullet tooth tony looks at one of the dude's dads and goes he likes your bar yes He wants your bar. And do you want me to draw you a picture? (laughs) Like, that's kind of what this feels like to me right now. (laughs) Like, I've got a feeling there'll be more development in that relationship in the coming year or so so i would say keep half an eye on that as well yeah especially
1: with like again like the stuff going on in argentina it's looking pretty precarious and like the reality is brad hollinger has dumped in a lot of investment but they've not really moved up the running order like we all thought it would and you know it's kind of a shame now to talk about a team whose only racing activity will be an IndyCar, which is weird. It's Meyer Shank Racing, a.k.a. Punish Shank. Mm. Felix Rosenquist <laughs> is new to the team. He was 12th in the championship last year with Arrow McLaren. Tom Blomquist is new to the championship full-time. He had a cup of coffee last year. He's running for Rookie of the Year honors, and he just came off a very impressive performance at the twelve hours of C- at the excuse me the twenty four hours of Daytona I'm jumping my head at myself. C- racing <laughs> after Saint Petersburg by the way. Uh, but Indeed. Blomquist had a good race, in his first race with Cadillac power. Uh, ha- the the fist connection team twig team Sweden whatever we're calling about it. Either way the rebuild starts here. There's no more Elio Castro Neves, uh, not full time. He is now a part owner of this team. There's no Simon Patch note indefinitely as he recovers from post-concussion symptoms. So I guess what I want to start with is, like, Felix Rosenquist has been jerked around a lot the last few years in McLaren. Is a smaller
0: team a better fit for him? I think it is. I mean... I think... Felix has never really been able to find a genuine proper home in IndyCar that befits his talent. He was at Chip Ganassi. I think he had promises of good stuff when he was at Chip in the number 10 car, but they broke off that relationship quite early. He went to McLaren. The friendship and and the bromance with Padua Ward was genuinely beautiful. Um, It was was wonderful to watch. Um, And again flashes of brilliance from felix at mclaren there was a few moments in his time at mclaren where you go god damn this dude could be right up there especially at the indy 500 he was uh, he was my final day pick to win that race and i was looking real good until 50 laps to go when he hits the wall and next thing you know Carl kirkwood's rear retire is in a car park um yeah it's no a <laughs> snowball no uh, but the point i'm getting at here is that it looks like i mean Felix has been blessed with two runs in two very solid IndyCar teams in his career, and they've seemed a little bit overarching for him ultimately because while he was good at McLaren, 12th place is, is probably slightly below par for what McLaren are probably wanting to be aiming for going forward. He's not a contender. He's not like a Padua Award who you, you, could, you, you could spearhead a campaign through him. I think a smaller team who need a good pair of hands to help rebuild them and get a good base going, going forward, because that's when Mayor Shank was at its best in IndyCar. When Jack Harvey was at his best in IndyCar and he was spearheading a one-car team and Harvey was good enough to run top 10 and get the occasional podium finish. Harvey was really good in this team and I think Felix could do similar things for this team. It's a renowned effort. It's the only place Mayer Shank is racing this year. They should have more resources to spend on this project. I like building it around Felix. Because I don't think you're going to get a better driver pound for pound for where Mayor Shank are at as a team right now than this. That's no, I couldn't.
1: Right, yeah, um, and I believe they still have the technical alliance with Andretti Global. So that's going to be to their benefit. Um, Tom Blumquist is an interesting case because he's not just been a sports car lifer. Remember, in 2014, there were two people that sat above and below him in the standings in the European Formula 3 championship. The man above was Esteban Ocon. The man below him was a rookie by the name of Maximilian Verstappen. Single-seaters was what he was raised to do. His career didn't always take him down that path, but he's here in IndyCar for a full season. I'd say the results we had last year were inconclusive.
2: Yeah, a lot of speed, not a lot of places to actually show it. No. Um, occasionally would get caught up in other people's messes, occasionally made them of his own. That's something to be expected from a basically a substitute driver um, in IndyCar. But now he's got the full time seat. <laughs> Uh, oh, no. Look, I just I... don't know what to expect out of Shank because it's like you've been <sighs> mm-hmm. talking about them as uh, when are they going to make the next big step and we've been saying that more or less since since they won the 500 mm-hmm. of making a full season push um, last year was pretty objectively horrible by all accounts uh-huh. um, with uh, Castor Neves, who realistically is a 500 specialist but Full season attack probably is aged out. And uh, Pagino, probably... who just walked under every ladder, stepped on every crack, and is now continuing to recover from his brake failure induced massive barrel rolling crash.
0: Yeah. Um, first and foremost I'd like again continued best which is from all of us to Simon Pagina. We miss him um in this paddock and in this field. He's he was a, 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 he's a genuine bright spark and incredible intelligent dude a driver's driver and he opened up a little bit in the off season about some of that post concussion syndromes he's, he, on his website he talked about how basically he's lost his balance um and that's a big problem when you're going to be an Indycar driver and um that's been the biggest hurdle towards him taking part in any kind of motorsport again is that he's not been able to get his balance back for as a result of that incident from the concussion so again i, I don't want to like just gloss over simon Pagano not being here but i wanted to at least acknowledge that point and and we all love simon on this show and we wish him all the very best in that um i, I can i can only echo Cam's sentiment he doesn't need me to tell you that tom Blomqvist is arguably the best sports car driver in the world right now. He's been in Inception in his Daytona run. Don't look at me like that. You know, deep down, I've got a point. Uh, and, yeah,
2: yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, and, sure.
0: But yeah, Tom Blom was incredible at Daytona, was the fastest dude on average stint time, where our rough estimates. He was incredible in that 31 car. Tom Blom is a, is a wonderful driver. Can he convert that into such a tough series like IndyCar over a full season remains to be seen. I'm fascinated by the experiment and I really do hope it works out because it'll be another feather in the cap for a fantastic driver and a great talent. But I'm not sure if a two-car shank team is the place I'd want him to do it. Um, it, This team is a bit of a mess right now. Um, There's no getting around it. They've not had a lot to show for it. And Let's be frank. Last year, the only real highlights that came from Mayor Shank was when Linus Lundqvist briefly took over that seat towards the back end of last season and was immediately quick. Like, it was, it was making fast 12s, was running top 10 in Nashville before he unfortunately hit the wall. It goes to show there is something in this package and yeah. in this setup. Without question, if Linus Lundqvist as a rookie can come in on, on a, a week's notice and immediately be quick, there's something here. I just hope Definitely. these are the right drivers that can unlock that. I think they've
1: got a good veteran presence of Rosenquist and, and like, Rosenquist isn't just no
2: a... Really veteran. weird, a that sounds. You can call Felix Rosenquist the veteran presence.
0: He used and, and, to be just the driver for hire. And now he's in year six of his time in IndyCar. Mm-hmm. He's what he's the in hell? the
1: walls. He's in the carpet. He's He's watching you. <laughs> um, let's song. talk. Let's talk about another Honda engine program that has always has the potential to perform in big moments when you least expect them, and that's Dale Coyne Racing. So what we know is that they will have two cars, but what we don't know as of Leap Day, February 29th, so driving who's driving them? Who's going to drive them? We are doing the last minute driver thing, like it's the mid twenty tens, but I think the candidates that they've evaluated are a bit better than your Rodolfo Gonzalez's or Francesco Dracones of seven or eight years ago, because I'd
0: like, I'd like to think this is not 2016 where they yeah. were going through drivers for hire. Um, yeah. Like to, 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 to follow one from what RJ was saying, Jack Harvey has been in the car, the number 18 car for the last couple of tests. Um, we know Jack Harvey is someone we're a fan of on this show, but had a horrible time at Ray Halletham and Lanigan Racing. Um, the last couple of years he didn't even see out the end of his second season. He was let go early from that contract. Um, but he's tested for them. Apparently the test has been very well with him in that car from reports I've heard, which is promising. It looks like Harvey will be will feature in some capacity. Second guy's a bit of a wild card, we've mentioned. Colin Braun. We were just
1: talking about, we said we were talking about the best driver in American sports car racing. Colin Braun's in the discussion. He is a wild card. Uh, He got his first test at Sebring last week at, at the Sebring Short Track. And while he wasn't immediately on the pace, he showed steady improvement and showed that he belonged. Like, we joke about him being... NASCAR Truck Series legend Colin Braun sarcastically, but he's driven high downforce, high horsepower cars for a living now for for quite some time across multiple different categories. And I'm not saying he'd be a great road and street course fit. I'm not saying he has a close friend in George Kurtz who, if he wants to chip in a little bit of money to make sure he sees out the full road and street course schedule, who would say no to a gray and red CrowdStrike livery number 51 Dale Coyne racing car, if it comes down to that?
0: I wouldn't. I mean, if you're Dale Coyne who is struggling to create any sort of spark. They had a very bright talent in David Malukas, who walked away from the team after two seasons. And in fact, was very open about walking away from that team after a year and a half. He, mm-hmm. he, I think he was very polite with his baby self in saying that he was clearly frustrated with the resources available at coin. And he clearly was not getting the best out of himself by being he hit there. The ceiling. Yeah, you, you, there was clearly a ceiling. Now you, you got it. You got it in one, RJ. I think there was clearly a ceiling with with Malukas in that team. And look, we like Malukas. He's. A, we'll get to him in the McLaren section later on. But there's a lot to like about Malukas in, in, as a talent. Fuck it. Why not gamble on someone? I mean, there's there's, there's another name in there as well that's worth mentioning. That was Nolan yeah. Siegel,
1: which who, is strange because Nolan Siegel is already committed to a second year of ending next, but. According to Marshall Pruitt on This Week in IndyCar, Nolan Siegel is potentially lining up for a part-time role in the number 51
0: car that would include the Indianapolis 500. We're going to put a 19-year-old in the 500 again. Oh, boy. (laughs) But
1: I love the cut of this 19-year-old's jet because, again, we're talking about two of the best American sports car racers around potentially sharing a card Mm. potentially it hasn't (laughs) been confirmed yet but if they brought him back for a second evaluation at sebring after they tested him at homestead i think dale coin racing wants to see if this guy is the future of their team
0: if you're dale coin why the hell not you're not getting anyone better than these two (laughs) yeah yeah
1: you're really not like Going into the offseason, it was looking like the Dale Coyne Racing lineup was going to be definitely DeFrancesco and Daniel Frost. And it sucks that Daniel Frost is out of the game because of compulsory military service back home at Singapore. But
3: mm-hmm.
1: he, psh, this is, unfortunately for him, this is a, looking like a much better lineup if this is indeed the lineup that they're going to go with. Hell, for all we know, next week they could announce two completely different drivers and all this conversation could be moot. <laughs>
0: I, I think Cam's just got a mental image of Devlin De Francesco holding a money in the brank briefcase in St. Petersburg, saying it's my seat. Um, <laughs> the look he just gave me—it's um, it, like he get it out of my head. <laughs> get it out of my head. Oh dear. But uh, look, I—I—I I, I, I double down on what I said a minute ago. You're not getting two better drivers than this in your in, in when it comes to your, you even where Dale Coyne are at? And honestly. Given there's rumors around other entrants potentially coming into this series like Prima, who have teased the idea potentially of having an IndyCar setup going forward. I think if I was looking at the current full time list of 27 cars and if I'm IndyCar who ultimately gets to dictate who races in the series and who doesn't, the one where they're constantly looking for drivers to fill out the gaps on their car in terms of money Dale Quinn would be the one I'd be circling as the team that might be the most expendable. They need, they, they need to get, they need a shot in the arm. And I like, you're not going to get anyone better than Nolan Siegel. who won twice in Indy next last year was a shot in the arm for that series to still only 19 years of age. Um, why not? Right? Like, like, they, they're not getting anyone better. They're not getting anyone brighter for an, at least another year or so. So why, why the hell not Jack Harvey slash Colin Broad or Nolan Siegel, any combination of those three, in my opinion, is a solid team. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Put a pin in that. Let's leave an insert for who they eventually announce. And then let's go to Ed Carpenter racing, who we know has a rideshare arrangement. Now it's not rena VK. He's still in the number 21 car. It was 14 in the standings last year. But the number 20 is back to ride-share arrangement after the premature dismissal of Colin D- Connor Daly. We now have reigning Indy Nets champion and Daytona 24 class winner Kristen Rasmussen on the road to street courses with team owner driver Ed Carpenter doing the
0: ovals. Rasmussen will get his own car for the 500s we mentioned slight downsizing for this team like they 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 would normally just have ed run a third car for said oval races on the calendar but they've had to downsize slightly and are now going to share that 20 car with and honestly i don't know why christian has to shout i hope it's not a funding issue because christian rasmussen is quick he won five times in Indy Next last year on route to win in the championship and as mentioned he was superb in the Rolex in Daytona, he uh, was arguably the fastest guy in the MP2 during that race. He was, he was very, a, very quick indeed. According
1: to the numbers from B-pillar, it wasn't arguably he was the quickest guy, and he <laughs> was the man steering them, steering Era Motorsports, a team who hadn't won it all last year, to their second Rolex 24 vic class win in four years. The guy is clearly, clearly good. I, I probably didn't think much of him last year, but but now I believe. I believe Christian Rasmussen right be the guy.
0: I think Indynext was a bit of a down year last year. I think uh, 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 for some reason, I don't fully know why it didn't seem to get a lot of attention, despite having a lot more entrance and a lot more cars in it last year with the new format. And Rasmussen was really good, and especially on ovals, which is arguably the most frustrating part of this. His oval speed was insane in Indynext last year, and now he's not going to get an oval besides the 500. That is why i straight frustrating. I think it, I'm going to be real with you. I think it's a little bit selfish on Ed's part on this one.
1: It is a little bit. I mean, we know the story with that Carpenter. He is, he is the owner driver. He is an Indiana boy through and through. He has been trying to win this race for a number of years. And by God, he's going to do it until he is physically unable to do so. Or until he decides to call it off.
2: Yeah, but it's been quite a few years since... We've seen him challenging. I mean, the last time he really featured at the front of one of these was what, 18, 2018? 19?
1: 2018, 2019. I mean, he gave willpower everything. He just wasn't enough.
2: Yeah, it, it's been a hot minute. And really last year, I mean, this team, were it not for the the spear that Renus VK committed on Alex Pillow at the 500 last year, would have been a, a solid pick for the participation cup they Mm. were just sort of there all season never never as bad as the foits with peterson flat footing it into crashes and t-boning people into the sky but there were no heights and usually egg carpenter racing is good for at least two or three really solid results a year and that just didn't happen last year
1: yeah um there was a point in time like eight or nine years ago with Joseph Newgarden was the young face of this team. And he was regularly winning races with them. I think he spared a lot of this team's blushes because a lot of young drivers have come in and there's not been a lot of sustained success from any of them, whether it was Spencer. Well, that Niggott, was, I mean, aren't Jones, they, that was
2: basically two major technical resets in this series. As far as the car. Uh, ago. Which is crazy I mean, it's because, because long, the bones are still the same, which The, we'll bone, the skeleton is the same, but all of the, uh, all the sinew is different, but it's, it's been a very long time since this team was consistently relevant. And even now, I mean, even the 500 has been lean pickings.
1: And I'm worried about Renas VK because oh, he's saying. still 23 years old. I think he's still got the speed, but unless he has a good year, finds a way to like impress a bigger team, I'm worried that at age 23, he's going to be the forgotten man of this latest IndyCar youth movement.
0: This is I mean. year five for Renus VK in IndyCar this year, believe it or not. Uh, it's, it's it's weird to say about a guy that's still only 23 years of age, and I've written about it before. I'll say it again here. I think Renus VK was arguably the biggest silly season victim of the Alex Polo contract scandal. Because if Alex Polo was forced out of the Chip Ganassi setup, the guy that was being penciled in for the ten car was Renes VK, mm-hmm. and then when all that was going on, VK didn't have a had a clause in his contract, which means he couldn't talk to other teams until September the first, which is traditionally when right around the time IndyCar season ends. Yeah. Um. So that Polo's drama had been settled right when Renus VK was allowed to start talking to people. And by that point, as far as we were aware in 2022, the Polo contract situation was settled. And and as a result, Renus kind of had no choice but to sign a new multi-year deal at Ed Carpenter because there was nothing better for him. He was, he was completely lost in the shuffle of that Polo contract scandal and it's a real shame because, again, this guy is quick. We know he is quick. And I, it was our friend of the show, Kira, our Discord server, that I think summed it up beautifully to me in a call last week where she said, Renus VK can't get anything better because he drives for Red Carpenter racing, and but Renas, Venus, Venus VK can't prove he's any better because he drives for Red Carpenter racing. It's a horrible feedback loop that means he can't break out of this cycle because... I know for a fact, Renus is more talented than 14th in the standings last year. He's better yeah. than that. Um, but he's not got a car where he can prove that, and he's not going to be able to get a car where he can prove that because other guys have leapt him in the queue. David Malukas is the walking definition of that. Polo- Again, it deals back to the Pelot scandal. Pelot... Thought, we all thought it was going to McLaren. You all thought it was a done deal. Turns out, Polo changed his mind, and the ramifications of that are continuing. And who did McLaren get instead? It wasn't Rinas VK. It was David Malukas.
2: I mean, just looking at it, I mean, just you just look at the the results trace in the last two years, and it really, other than other than Barber, it just follows the classic Carpenter trend of a couple of races. I mean, he had two top tens last year. And the rest of it was a lot of close, but no cigar.
0: A lot of finishes in the teens. Yeah. And that's just not going to move the needle for anybody. in mean, IndyCar at this point, it's too competitive a series for that. And that's his oh. lowest points total for
2: a year as well. He didn't even finish in the top five last year, which is so weird. He had a
1: 10th at the Indy Spring race as sits in Portland. That's as good as it got. Now, granted, he was more consistent. He was bringing the car home more often than he had in the last couple of years. But the peaks aren't there. The peaks weren't there last year. I mean, when Ryan Hunter Ray is coming in just for moral support and a, and a how do you do on the way out?
2: I just don't know what the direction of Ed Carpenter racing is.
0: Yeah, it just feels like a team that's lost in the source across the board. And Renas VK is the personification of that, in my opinion. I, I, I don't know what good it is that Ed's still doing these ovals because he's not done anything to move the needle in an oval for quite some time. To the point where it's now, I think, actively going to hurt Christian Rasmussen's development as a driver, and and I think Rasmussen is potentially really good, and he's not going to get any oval time except for the five hundred, which we all know people in IndyCar are getting frustrated about because young drivers are not getting oval time, um, Hmm. and and
2: the five hundred is unlike any it's unlike any other oval oval on the calendar, and it. It really isn't representative of the other ovals. The closest thing to it was Pocono. Pocono is gone. There are no other super speedways that you would really term as a proper, you know, full-size oval like that.
1: Pocono's gone. The people at Auto Club don't know what they want to do with the facility. Michigan hasn't been around in a while, and to be honest, do we need another oval in the Midwest when we just kept Iowa around and added
0: back Milwaukee? I don't know. Mm. Nexus is dead uh you know it goes on and on fontana's been dead for a while etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, yeah it's it's not great and which leads us in quite appropriately actually to what we call our existential crisis intermission as rj th- called it earlier
1: yeah because the vibes in indycar have been weird for a while they've been weird especially weird this offseason uh so let's talk about some of it so as we mentioned earlier The hybrid powertrains, which have been delayed multiple times, are now scheduled to arrive in mid-2024. At least the latest round of testing seems like they've gotten the quality control issues, which have been a huge source of the delays, solved.
2: Yeah, because um, the initial intended debut of these hybrid powertrains, alongside a new internal combustion engine, which, of course, now can only be seen over an IMSA in the back of the Acura uh, GTP car. Well, the 2.4s were struck from existence, at least on this side of the uh, series (laughs) fence. And let's say that their hybrid supplier has needed a lot of external help from Chevy Ilmore and Honda. Well, now Honda, Honda Racing Corporation U.S., uh-huh. no longer hpd going into this year to get these to any remotely acceptable level of reliability because frankly the hybrid systems were tearing themselves apart
1: yeah i think i think a lot of people have complained like well where's the hype about all the hybrid testing and like if you looked at like how hybrid testing was going lately i'm just like do you really want you to hype up like it. a bunch of you, mechanical failures
2: <laughs> yeah y- they couldn't even get it off the ground initially um yeah you're, you're trying to hype up 2015 Mclaren Honda testing yeah um but so yeah you know that, that's great I mean we still have two engine manufacturers they're both helping oh so there's
1: another big elephant in the room now uh, as Ken pointed out we don't have a new internal bus yet it's apparently a new ICA new chassis tentatively set for 2027 we'll wait and see but the big thing that was a big problem this offseason hpd hrc usa's current commitment to supply indycar engines ends in 2026 and they publicly agitate saying you know things need to change they want to focus more on like the firmware side of things you know the hybrid supply of things they don't want to be exhausting like they're like keeping developing this 2.2 liter engine formula which is still a good formula But it's probably do a refresh and they're spending a lot of money to develop these engines that haven't changed a while. And it's getting to the point where Honda may genuinely leave IndyCar after the twenty twenty six season because we know Honda is going to have a lot more resources to devote to Formula One again. And according to the Marshall Pro podcast, Honda might actually make the jump to NASCAR at all levels. Very, good, very soon. Good
2: God. Could you imagine? Yeah, <sighs> yeah I'm pretty sure Graham Hall would actually, actually blow up a house.
1: Honda has been a part of American Open Wheel Racing since 1994, when they first partnered with Bobby Hall's team, and then and... became the engine to have in kart. Then they switched sides, and then they became the only engine to have in the Indy Racing League for a while. And now we are at the Honda Chevy Duopoly, and that is set to change. But
2: there's another chapter in there that is quite important to this, that this was never supposed to be this way under these 2.2 liter engines. The load was supposed to be shared between three different engine manufacturers. Let's just say the uh, Lotus IndyCar program was um, hot trash. Lemon. It was an absolute Uh, lemon. lemon. uh, Oldsmobile diesel looking ass. And... God, the, the only good thing that came out of that was a single great drive from Sebastian Bourdais in a very beautiful car for Dragon Racing. The Shame best it. part of that entire program was Jay Penske's involvement. That's all you need to know.
0: The that fact of the before. matter
2: is. Honda and. Elmore Chevy have been producing effectively half the engines on the grid when they were supposed to be producing a lot less. They've been at capacity for over a decade now. Mm-hmm. And they're sick of spending the money for very, very little return on investment. And NASCAR, as much as NASCAR is not what it was, God, 10, 15 years ago, and God, we could go into NASCAR's problems and be yeah. here for three NASCAR, days. And NASCAR uh, is has is its own immediate. set of problems, but
1: is still like the king of American
2: motorsport. Economically, it's a gargantuan step up from uh, IndyCar. And they're going to be devoting, as RJ mentioned, the resources into the Formula One power unit because they are re-entering. I mean, right now, they basically just build engines and badge them. <laughs> Um, Re entering in the loosest possible sense with Aston Martin for a fresh power unit in 26. And they've been very open with the fact that they are, there's a lot more cross pollination between the former HPD side of the company, which more or less operated as a wholly owned subsidiary, back into HRC Greater to help develop that power unit. As Damn that me. engine's going to be, it's going to have a lot more in common, really, as kind of a halfway house between the IndyCar engines being twin turbo small displacement V6 to the Formula One engine.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: there that, is, that's going to be there,
1: very it's good. not good. It's, it's not good if Honda leaves without a replacement lineup and IndyCar has been trying to find a third OEM for a decade. Now they're just going to may have to find a second replacement OEM because I don't doubt that Chevrolet and Ilmore don't have the
2: resources to supply a whole grid, but the question is... They barely have the resources to support the grid now, RJ. They're at capacity for building the engines because engines are such long lead times. Um, In addition, they're supporting the entire ARCA grid and the entire truck grid on the NASCAR side of things. And one would think that given the uh, continued work behind the scenes of the Andretti slash Cadillac, late paperwork filed f1 entry that ilmore's probably going to have a hand in that power unit provided they can actually get into the f1 grid
1: yeah formula one made 2.5 billion in revenue but we just we can't afford to pay an 11 team prize money in the constructors um i, there's I don't also... see how
0: ilmore
2: can support a whole grid
0: and i was going to make it's... the point as well yeah i'm sorry to cut in here gents but uh, i was going to i was going to make the point that If you're an engine manufacturer right now, why would you want to get involved in IndyCar and and start producing an engine that's a a decade out of date with no hard date set on that new ICE coming in? And you've got to supply a further the grid. You're likely not going to be competitive straight away. You're going to get your shit rocked by Chevy uh, Elmore. uh, and, And Honda's pretty much just admitted publicly that they're not making enough of a return on this investment to make it worthwhile. So why would any new manufacturer want a piece of that right now? and and, and this is not just
1: indianapolis 500
2: but that's the thing what do you do
0: this is the problem
2: with that (laughs) and and that's just it is that what we are what all the rumblings have been screaming in this off season is that for a lot of people involved the 500 ain't enough anymore and this is not just an indycar problem. i mean wrc is having a a big issue with their manufacturers and the lack of return on investment right now they're canning their own hybrid system and you've got a a, a twofer right now where sports car racing is a hell of a lot cheaper than it has been yeah. and you can run cars on both sides of the atlantic now Can i, I just can just, i just
1: point out how weird it is that wrc is having an existential crisis because of hybrids and indycar is having a existential crisis because the hybrids aren't online yet
2: that's so weird I, me, man. I i really don't think that's it with indycar I don't think it matters if you've got hybrids or not. Um, I think it matters whether your series has eyes on it. The running joke with IndyCar is if a 10 out of 10 race happens and no one's around to watch it, did it ever really happen?
1: Well, now I want to talk about the television deal because that's up for grabs at the end of the year. Who's getting it? Is NBC returning? Is Fox going to get it? Is the CW
2: going to get it? Oh, God, no. Please, no, not CW. As if there weren't enough low rating races please like the cw is making a push to get into
1: sports like they 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 they're desperately trying not to be the distant fifth place free to air in north america but if it's gonna go anywhere it should be fox and even then like if you talk to nascar people they'll tell you fox's nascar coverage has been slipping since the since the peak, Mike Joy, Larry Mackie, you've now just days. put it in my
2: head. If Clint Boyer is ever allowed to commentate an Indianapolis 500, I will quit motorsport. <laughs> I will not allow this to happen. I will burn this planet down.
1: And if they go to Fox, like, who's going to come with them? Do we think that Lee Diffie is going to want to give up his gig of calling Olympic events for NBC? Now likely that's a big game
2: for just about everything (laughs) yeah i I mean he is their all of their motorsport coverage bar nascar and beyond he's one
0: of the most versatile common sports commentators in the world today lee diffie like he he does everything well he does rugby he does track and field athletics he does multiple motorsport disciplines including formula one lee diffie's versatile and as talented as they get we love him here on this show I wouldn't be giving up that gig just to call IndyCar on Fox unless they and were Dre, paying them a boatload of money. And, and you
2: mentioned Formula One. I mean, now Hinch looks like he's going to be taking over the gig on F1 TV. He's got a full-time commitment now.
1: Oh, who's, well, who's going to ta- babysit Townsend Bell?
2: Um. Well, They've got Townsend. But who oh, is he going to babysit himself?
1: That's the uh, problem. No, he's going
2: to run rampant oh brother um that's, it's that's, just, gonna su- that's gonna suck the soul out
1: of lee diffie's job
2: do, do, we maybe like a, the- do we now have a triple whammy of the hybrids are delayed one of your two engine manufacturers trying to bail and oh by the way your tv contract might end up on the fifth free to air there's another thing that's been
1: happening and, and to another. be fair it's been kind of okay so charters guaranteed 500 starting spots is not a new point of discourse in fact it's something that big teams have been pushing for before roger penske and his holding company bought the speedway and the series but now it's ramping up again and the latest report seems like there will be a charter system in place and might be announced by the indianapolis 500 and when you talk nascar style charter system nascar has guaranteed entries for its charter teams in every race and that means guaranteed indianapolis 500 starting spots and that means you are taking one of the big draws of the big race and you're throwing that in the garbage there is nobody outside of the big teams who would be best served to have a guaranteed entry in this race team who likes
2: this big team now, can you imagine what, who... Can you guess who that team is? It's Roger. It's Roger Penske, Pans- who uh, owns the series.
0: Look, this is the problem I've got. I'm not the most educated IndyCar fan, and probably the least so amongst the three of you, but I do have general sporting sense, and, and there's one thing that alarms me about this. It's that both sides of the table want this to happen it will happen eventually but there is only so long you could delay the inevitable on something like this it feels to me as if it's only going to be a matter of time until the 25 april returns in indycar in some way shape or form and that takes a lot of the genuine charm and elegance of the indy 500 away from me because Bump day, for example, is a huge part of what makes the 500 what it is because there was a sense, there was the greatest sense of jeopardy that your car might not make the race. And, yeah. and look, there's no getting around it. Penciling in the 25 best cars in the series before you've even started takes a lot of the buzz out of that. And yeah. I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to rag on your boy RJ for just a second here, but let's be real here. Not just we'd like to admit it. Fernando Alonso not making the 500 was a huge story. It was a, on yeah. multiple ways. That's it, one it, of the signature you know moments what? of the race's recent history.
2: It, it hmm. is. And and it was one of those moments where you realize the significance of the 500, the significance of the challenge that it represents yeah. that a big bad team from the other open wheel series came over and did not take this seriously. And they were shown up by the minnows. Yeah, But, and, I mean, and, look at it. a couple years ago, Will Power had to scrape and claw and hit the wall to get into the 500 in a Penske.
0: Yeah. And I would know, I'm a James Inchcliffe guy. James Hinchcliffe got bumped from this event a few years back as well, and that was a heartbreaker. Penske, Penske would know. Himself. Penske,
2: God, if the 95 qualifying fiasco happened now... In the age of social media, it would be Um, It would be the biggest story in motorsport. I'm not like some people and think that Roger
1: Penske is a sleepy Joe Biden type who can barely tie his own shoelaces. He is clearly a smart businessman, even in advanced age. He knows what he wants. And I I don't know if he's going to back down from this. And for that matter, I... For that matter, I I do not have any confidence in Mark Miles's job as the president of IndyCar. None. He's Man's come out with so gone. many. He's come out with so many statements that makes it seem like you know he's not. And he is not a guy that Penske put in charge. He's been there since the Holman and George days.
2: Yeah, he's a, he's I a holdover my, from the previous management, and it's been. So it is everything that uh, that we've discussed in the this segment has been cascading and brewing behind the scenes really since the a lot of it since the split on and off where the, the echoes the ghost of the split 30 years on still rings true that this series just ain't what it was it's not and what rather it was. than
1: yet, yeah. there's still interest in it Drivers want to come over to continue their racing careers. Teams are eyeing up prospective entries. We got iRacing well, back.
2: And it's that everything everything on the ground is still pretty good. The racing yeah. is great. The drivers are great. The engines, while we still have them, are some of my favorite. It's one of my favorite technical formulas in all of racing. So the chassis, yet, if I'm honest. And this chassis, you know, it might be 15 years old by the time we maybe get a replacement. But Delara, even this past week, has introduced new components to prevent the wheel ejection we saw last year that uh, wiped out a poor little Chevy Cruze in the parking lot. Yeah, and a lot of it stems back from the way that the series is run on a uh, on a commercial level. Yeah, this and is Miles not... has just he has not done a job in accordance with trying to get IndyCar get off the pot, frankly.
1: Yeah. Like, I have my issues with the way that things have developed under Penske Entertainment, but let's not pretend ourselves to thinking that things were sunshine and roses under the Holman and George era, because it was still the same style. If anything, I'm
2: kind of cranky that not enough has changed. Uh, that, and, and that, one, once more, in one take. Oh, man. That... When Penske took this over a couple years ago, the hope was that we would see a large number of sweeping changes. And instead it was, it's just been a lot of maintaining the status quo and dumping a lot of money into IMS.
1: Which to be fair, I think Is the investments made in the Speedway have been good, but this needs to start trickling over the Indy card side. And I'll be real with you. Like if you take, if you put, the charter system into a vacuum and separated away from like all the justified anger of like taking away the concept of the fastest 33. I don't think that's enough of a needle mover. It hasn't been enough of a needle mover for an ASCAR.
2: I'll be real. Well, given that the sport and the teams are in open rebellion over it.
0: Can we get into the second um, half of the grid?
2: Yeah.
1: I'm going to enjoy the season. I think we're all going to enjoy this season. Sure. I just, I really hope they steer out of the skid. Speaking of steering out of the skid, let's talk about Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing, who are back with three cars: the number 15 for second-generation driver Graham Ray Hall, fittingly was 15th in the championship; the number 45, driven by Christian Lungard, who was eighth and got his first win in Toronto, and now in the number 30 car third-generation driver Pietro Fittipaldi for the full season.
2: Kind of a weird mixed-up year for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan last year because if you look at just the, ol- the 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 ovals, you think they're the worst team in IndyCar. They were the worst team in IndyCar on ovals far too often last year. Graham Ray Hall fails to make the 500. Has to go into another car after uh an injury freed up a spot for him. And he was bumped out by his own teammate. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that teammate is now gone for underperformance for the rest of the season. That's the other thing, because on Rotom Street Course form, especially in the back half of 2023, when they made a major engineering shakeup, they were really they good. We were really good.
0: Definitely. Um and it's weird saying that. I mean, it, it was genuine. I mean, Graham Rail had an emotional roller coaster of a year. He was bumped from the Indy 500. We all saw the pictures and the scenes and one of the most dramatic bump day deciders ever um, last year. Um, he had to fire his crew chief after a disastrous round in Detroit. Um, and then afterwards, he was actually a fair bit stronger in the second half of the season as a direct result. And this is weird. We're saying this about. Graham Rahal, who is entering year eighteen of his IndyCar career at this point, year eighteen, which is wild to even think about. with Graham, who's still he's only in on his scene.
1: he's been on the scene as long as Kevin Durant has been in the NBA. He's spent his literally
0: half his life in the sport. Yeah, he debuted in two thousand six, a year, yeah, a year, a year before Kevin Durant was drafted by the then Seattle SuperSonics. It's, it's, it's weird how it was weird time to be a alive. pre-OKC Thunder era. Yes. Graham
1: right. Ray Hall debuted in the Champ Car World
0: Series. Mm-hmm. That is a thing. So good to see Graham look a little bit rejuvenated, and maybe some of that heel tendency that he's had as a driver in this series kind of faded away a little bit after he got bumped because... I've, I've never seen the man so emotionally distraught as when he was bumped from that 500. We, the whole world got to see it, and he handled it with exceptional good grace. Um, something that I wouldn't have been able to do. I, I, I wholeheartedly uh, maintain that. The other, the big thing for me is on the other side of the garage, and that's Christian Lingard. <laughs> Christian Lingard was incredible last year. We joke if you're a fan of Flacco 811 on Instagram who loves a good NBA meme and, and and a good joke that he is the Bugatti outside of the shed picture you may have seen um meaned in many a times. He's the Lamborghini parked up in front of the terrible looking house. Christian lingard was eighth in the standings last year. He won in Toronto and on Roden Street courses last year. He had an average finish of 7. Lingard was sensational. Where he could turn left and right last year, he was a real shot in the arm for this team. He's also a free agent at the end of this season, and he will be I've, in high demand. He's going to be in high demand. And you know what? I, I've got it written down on my future season preview that's going to come out in the next couple of days. So I will, I will put this thought out into the universe here early. I think he's going to be a future Penske driver next year.
2: Oh dear God! He does does fit the model i, I don't think, think there's a team on this grid that doesn't get better hiring christian lungard
0: he's a stud yeah. he is he's, he's been a stud from day one in this series from the moment he flew over on two weeks notice rolled up at the indie road course and and was immediately far six level quality he is sensational as a talent and he's still only i think 24 23 24 years old he <laughs> yeah. like, He's got 15 more years of this if he wants it. Easy. That is a guy that you could pencil into a top-tier team, maybe not even necessarily as a number one option, as an insurance policy, and I think he'd do work for you. I think with better resources and a better team around him, this guy could be a title contender soon. I I've, I've think that highly of him. <laughs> you went too high. He's 22. <laughs> It's a joke. He's a year younger than Reus Vite. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my God. Like, there, there's an alternate universe where Christian Lingard's already won at Indianapolis like three times already in, in terms oh of the spring God. race because he's stupid fast around there. Got two pulls,
1: six fast qualifying appearances, got the win at Toronto, eighth in the points. I mean, it's all good. I guess the only question is now. And this is from a team that we've seen, well, other than the Ovals, and <laughs> I would certainly hope that bringing Takuma Sato in for the five hundred would you it's know help steer them in the right direction. It, I want to know. It has to. What is Pietro Fittipaldi going to bring to the table? Because he has been kind of a vagabond of the racing scene. He's got he brings with him big sponsorship but He's best known as a guy sitting on the hospital wall or being on the F1 TV post show. You know he's not what's terrifying?
0: You know what's terrifying? Pietro Fittipaldi is already twenty-seven years old. It hurts my head.
2: Huh? It hurts my head. I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> it's
0: like Pietro Fittipaldi has joined this team as a rookie, and he's five years older than Christian Lundgaard. You know how weird that feels to me? But, but you're absolutely he's right. right. I mean, he. He's a veteran of all sorts of racing, whether it be DTM, sports cars, Formula Renault 3.5, if you want to go back that far, Um, in the dying embers of that series, if you want to really um, set the time machine back a little bit and feel a little bit older about your own existence. I don't know what to expect from him. I think he's a real wild card in that seat. I really do not know what to expect from him at all because he's just had so little racing in the last few years it's just hard to get a read on what he's going to be in that setup yeah uh, like
1: the only times we've seen him are in 2018 in the IndyCar series where he was meant to have a split campaign and that season was derailed by an injury picked up in the world endurance championship then he's out of the series for a while he comes back in 2021 doing part-time basically filling in the gaps where roman grosjean was not comfortable racing on ovals just yet but for the last couple of years, he's mostly been an LMP2 specialist as a professional driver, as well as being the Haas test reserve driver.
2: Yeah, I mean, anything, any result whatsoever might be better than what the 30 car got to experience last year, because it didn't matter who you plugged into that seat.
0: That team was horrible. Yeah, They've, they've got to fix the ovals. It was, it was humiliating last year seeing three of their four cars the, in the yeah, last yeah. chance qualify. Dre, how many yeah. times did they get... They were the first cars getting lapped. Yeah, they were the first cars getting lapped on ovals all across the board last season. They had three of their four cars in the last chance qualifier at the 500 last season. And no one in their field in an RL car last year had a qualifying number that began with a one or a two. That's not good. And unfortunately, Catherine Legg wasn't great in the actual 500 herself, unfortunately. Um, and uh, and yeah, you just team look was a the mess.
2: trace. Train, you look at the trace of Lungard's season, and it, it goes by the ovals. There's some top tens, there's the win, and then there's low teens.
0: I, I I did the I did the average last year. Lundgard's oval average last year was 17. That's not going to cut it, especially in a in, they need in a season. To fix
2: the ovals and with more ovals on the grid on this calendar as well they are going to be badly exposed if they don't yeah fix
0: they're it. going to be the biggest victims of the oval shift where we've got seven oval races next year that's only going to do them dirty further uh, they, they need to fix that shit and just fast sato's input will be enough even if it's just
1: for a fortnight that that will carry on to the rest of the season and you know as far as Pietro goes there's one other thing that really swings the balance in his favor third generation driver his uh, his family, Emerson and Christian in particular, they they were kind of good at this for a while.
0: Oh yeah, hundred percent. Next on the list, Andretti Global, the newly rebranded, newly renamed Andretti team, and if you if you saw their car reveals, uh, uniform liveries as well for the most part with the big white front nose, which I do not like. But hey, that's I don't Emerson. like it either. But that's subjective, not the big focus. So, subjective taste. So. We have Colton Herzer and Carl Kirkwood returning this year, but they have a new driver in the number 28, and it's Marcus Ericsson, who was sixth in the championship and has been for the last three years now in IndyCar. Um, so, this is, like, I think this is going to be another very interesting duel between them and McLaren in what I like to call the battle for the bronze um, because that's kind of where I feel like these two teams are at right now. And yeah. I know you made a last minute, adjustment. I actually didn't forget to acknowledge this, RJ, that Craig Hampson has moved over from McLaren. So he's actually made a pinch of a key yeah. member of that McLaren setup. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you don't know Craig Hampson's MO
1: uh, racer, landed out. Uh, he first came to prominence in the mid-2000s with some French guy named Sebastian at Newman Haas Racing, and they won four consecutive titles. He's been to Andretti. He's been to Dale Coyne. He's been recently with McLaren, and now he is back at Andretti. And they're hoping that's a shot in the arm for a team that is F1 caliber. But if you watch them in IndyCar, you wouldn't think that. You think, oh, why are all these other F1 teams worried about them taking their money? They would be easy walkovers.
0: Indeed. It's a a nice shot in the arm, and... I, the, obviously, the big story here is Marcus Ericsson coming over. That was an interesting tube. Two- I think this, this is mm-hmm. going to be a big flashpoint for not only Andretti as a team for me, but also Marcus Ericsson as a driver. The yeah. more cynical of the Marcus Ericsson Appreciation Society have always said that a lot of his success came for driving for the Chip Ganassi machine. We're going to find out very quickly whether that was the actual case. Or, or, or whether Marcus has genuinely improved to the point where he can actually lift the floor of a team that's badly needed a floor raiser for quite some time.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't have much data on what Ericsson's like outside the confines of Ganassi within IndyCar, because his one year at what is now Arrow McLaren, it's not the Arrow McLaren that we know now, and it was very much a year of just like Ericsson's trying to find his feet.
2: Yeah, yeah, not a lot of representative running.
0: Yeah, we just we just don't really know. Fast in testing, which is a promising sign, but yeah. it's a fifty-two second. And drive is of always fast in testing. Yeah, so like, and that's the thing. It's like, is Marcus a, pro- a product of the system, or has he genuinely become an elite level driver in this series? We'll quickly find out because he's got two very very talented young drivers alongside him in that garage who unfortunately, are peaks and valley drivers the last two seasons. We're talking about Colton Herter as the leader of this team in the number 26 car, he was 10th in the standings last year, and is now up to 29 races since his last victory in that rain-spoiled Indy Spring race back in 2022. And we know Colton Herta is better, has the potential to be better this. I mean, we just
1: saw him at Daytona in another set of cars.
0: He was, was sensational there.
1: And, you know, he was also he has also been knocking on the door of wins. He just has not been able to close the deal in the way that Kirkwood did last season. And Kirkwood was still shaky at times, but showed us enough of the potential at Long Beach and Nashville that we all saw in him when he was in the road to Indy.
3: It's very fascinating.
1: I think the potential is there for them to take a half dozen wins but that potential has always been there and they've never been able to close the deal. It's part of the reason why Alexander Rossi walked away.
2: I just don't know what to feel about Andretti as a team because they have all the ingredients and they have, I'd say, three very solid drivers. But when their floor falls out each season, it's, I mean, they fall all the way straight to the core of the earth. They will not have the excuse of being
1: stretched too thin now that they've scaled down to three cars.
2: Yep. Yes, and to the the loss of the number twenty nine. Preston yeah. piss, Bozo. Uh
0: we'll get the ninety eight back for Marco. It's fine. Yeah, and they've still got Carl Kirkwood who was the bright spot of this team last year with two wins, still rough around the edges at times like like any rookie would be or sophomore driver as he technically was at Andretti last year because it was technically his second season. But he did win twice. They were both on merit. They were both exceptional wins in the circumstances in which he won them. He he outdrove Scott McLaughlin in Nashville, and he he outgunned Romain Grosjean at Long Beach last year. Kirkwood has the potential to be him. He's tied himself down with a new long-term contract to well, which is a big coup for mm-hmm. Andretti because I know for a fact Penske was sniffing around Carl Kirkwood last year as a potential guy for one of their seats going forward. So Andretti's tied him down long-term. I'm very curious to see how year three gets on for Kirkwood because he, I think he could be the de facto leader of this team if this keeps up. He's trending in that kind of direction where, I think he could be top eight in the series this year. And let's not forget, he was running really well in the 500 last year towards the back end of that race until Snowball got turned into a trebuchet. That's correct. Yeah, he was on the leaders. He was on Newgarden's strategy when that incident happened. He was collected by Felix Rosenquist.
2: I am um, yeah. just he's, he's concerned good. that this team has a permanent case of cartoon anvil.
1: Yeah, it didn't leave without Xander Rossi. And to the point of Kirkwood, he's still pushing the team, but that's going to require a response from Kerta. We know he's been on a long losing streak. He's never had a good Indianapolis 500 that I can
0: recall. Mm, you know, indeed. For,
1: forget, like, you know, the the prospect of him being the, the the focal point of a hypothetical Andretti F1 team. I just want to see him get back on track in IndyCar, man.
2: Yeah. In general. the last... The last two years have really been enormous potential and speed met with just really silly mistakes, mistakes that you wouldn't expect of a driver who is now going into the stage of the career that he is. He's now 24 years
1: old and we're already, like Reynos VK, worried is he ever going to reach his full potential? I still think he
0: will. Needs to start showing it a bit more a guy that good should not be on a 30 race dry spell Like simple as that Definitely. he's better than that
1: Definitely. speaking of not quite reaching potential let's talk about Aero McLaren who <laughs> has now got a retooled three driver lineup. Pato Ward is still here he was fourth in the championship Alexander Rossi is still here he was ninth in the championship. There's a new driver in the number six car and it's David Malukas who was 17th at Dale Coyne last year but None of their drivers combined for wins and oh by the way David Malukas will not be here at St Petersburg because while training he broke his wrist that's tough
0: Yep, he will miss the opening round and the thermal challenge as well. We don't know who's going to be replacing him in that number six car for those, those two races. There's rumors it could be Callum Eilock because he is testing with the team as we speak. Um, <laughs> what which, what a I mean? fall upward, man. What a call. Yeah, that
2: Franco Morbidelli type beat <laughs> uh, falling absolutely. straight to the moon.
0: I, it's, like, it's like, oh, Lucas is hurt, is he? Good news. um, Daddy's home, as Randy Orton might say. No, like this, this for me stems to one big focal point with McLaren. It's like how me in the NFL would look at Darren McFadden, who used to run for the Oakland Raiders and Dallas Cowboys. Is this the year Palo Award finally puts it all together?
1: Damn, Oakland Raiders, you just dated this whole thing. Oh, it yeah. doesn't
2: feel like a team that didn't win a race last year. It doesn't. I mean, Paddle Ward really should have won St. Pete. Planum Fire happened. He should have won Indianapolis
1: Five Hundred. Got Dive two impatience. Diet bomb
0: impatient. happens. <laughs> <Dive> bomb <laughs> happens. Um, lost patience in you know in in Detroit. Crash happens. He had a couple of qualifying botches as well, in, like in mid Ohio and Laguna Seca. I think and this is a bold statement. This man is probably the biggest winner of IndyCar's calendar shift. Because there's now going to be seven ovals and six of them are shorter ovals. And Pano Award is the only guy in an oval right now, in my opinion, that can regularly give Joseph Newgarden trouble. You're spot on. And let's not forget, he ain't no slouch on road and street
1: courses either. It's and
0: Pano is a monster. He is what, he's like a Jose Ramirez type in baseball. He's a genuine free tool driver who can win anywhere. In that sense. Uh, and that's Pado Award. And there's only about four or five dudes, in, in my opinion, in this series who can do that. And Pado is one of them. And McLaren's yeah. very, very lucky to have him and spearhead him. If he can iron out on the
1: mistake. Very mis- rich deal, by the way, as we've learned. Um, yeah,
0: we yeah. today in the lawsuit. He's on 10 million bucks for the next two years. Go get him, Pado <laughs> but, <laughs> Think of but, all the like, shirtless like- selfies. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but but the, the concern for me with Paddle. Uh, he is a genuine Swiss Army knife of a driver. He can win on any track on any given day hmm. when he's got his head screwed on straight. Great because there were a few mistakes last year that were frankly kind of insane in context. The biggest one for me being the 500. Oh, he had that race penciled in. He was on he was he had a great car on a great strategy. And he just overstepped the mark.
0: Freshest yeah. tires in the field by a mile. Dive bombed Marcus Eriksson in a hole that was always going to disappear, and cost himself a golden chance to win the five hundred. With, with time on the board, there was seven to go. There was six and a half to that, go that, when that. that trash for me, happened. is
2: the, the 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 damning indictment. You don't make that. You don't make a move of that level of risk with seven to go. With two to go, understandable. That stand and send it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean the the genuine <sighs> that move on Scott Dixon last year oh yeah it Just,
0: was it was, was he, Bushley
2: he's he's got to tone the aggression down a little bit and maintain the pace and he's absolutely a title contender McLaren absolutely. has the equipment he has the tools as a driver to keep that floor up across the whole season and i think he has something that our previous champion doesn't which is you know a real x factor on short ovals
1: auto award to me is like if you brought back peak Juan pablo montoya uh and put him in a current generation indie card man he's got got all the cools he's got all he's got all the comp up to and including the the red miss level of aggression and i love that about him i loved Seeing this
2: kid's I, work, I almost equate him to where Max was in F1 maybe four or five years ago, where he's yeah. got all the raw ability in the world, but he needs to rework his risk. His risk management is the biggest step that he can take this year because if he can turn a couple of those non scores into just forget win, just a top two or three. Mm-hmm. There is no good reason why he wasn't at least giving Polo something to think about in the title for most of last year. Seven
1: podiums last year without a win. Yeah. I mean, he turned it on great in the second half of the season. Once all that silliness of Detroit went away, hardly ever put a wheel wrong. No.
0: Um, um, I was in a roster for the greener
1: Rossi never put a real wrong either. I mean, his peaks weren't spectacular, not as spectacular as we'd hope for a guy who in from 2017 to 2019 was arguably in the top 3 of drivers, if not the well, a top 3 driver. Have we learned enough in one year
2: is is it weird oh, to really? call Alex Rossi the floor guy of this team? Yeah, that's so weird. It is weird. I mean, that feels me- really weird. <laughs>
0: Uh, it's 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 weird to me because I, I I'm not a big Alex Rossi fan. I'm the I'm the person that screened from the rooftops for the last year and a half. We've destroyed people like Marcus Ericsson for a lot less than what Alex Rossi has produced in the last three or four years, which unfortunately, in Alex Rossi's case, isn't much. And, and, mm-hmm. that, and that's and that's harsh to say, but he's finished ninth, fourth, tenth in the standings of the last four years now. If anything, I don't think, like, I would say Rossi's getting tortured. for I, I just think he's getting
1: overlooked, and that's probably even worse. He's, he's overlooked
0: because he's had one win in his last 50 starts, RJ. That's the problem, because we know he's yeah. better than this.
2: It, it, <laughs> it feels like the goodwill of that Indy 500 win, I know we were talking about this in the Discord a few days ago, Dre. It feels like that ran out maybe two years ago, and now Agreed. the questions are beginning to crop up. Does... Alex still have it and you can still see the flashes. He's still just a mighty mean bastard wheel to wheel. Oh yeah. um, Where he will give you just enough room to just about make the corner without crashing. But there's got to, in the face of a teammate like Pato and now with Malukas coming in as a genuine unknown from a phenomenally fast stint at coin where he was at the ceiling, maybe punching up over the ceiling of what coin could realistically produce. Mm-hmm. Alex has to reassert himself here. Yeah, because uh, when Malukas is healthy,
1: when his wrist is fine and he gets back in the car, this is a very, very fascinating pickup. And, and the thing that really sticks out to me is that for a lot of young drivers to come in with kind of a midfield or a minnow team, you know, especially for Mindy nets, you know, it might be exceptional in road courses, but it takes a lot—a little bit of time—to learn the ovals. David has done it in reverse, and one other thing: like David wasn't a slouch on road courses in Indy Next.
0: No. What I would say is. The best thing about this hire and that Alex Pullo is no longer coming to this team, which is a shame of on many levels. Yeah. If you're if you're McLaren, of course, I'm not. I'm not disputing that. If you're Zach Brown, you've got every reason to be pissed off. That's on, on, on this one. Um, what I will say is three genuine bullets in the chamber for the 500, which is something that maybe only the top two teams can also brag because Malukas is an exceptional oval runner. And like you said, he's done it backwards. He's he's He was one lap away from winning in Gateway in 2022. He podiumed again in 2023. He was strong in Texas last year. He was strong in the 500 and an underwhelming package last year. I'm a big fan of McLaren bringing in David Malukas and essentially tripling down on the ovals because... Again, the calendar shifted this way, and I think this team has got a lot of upside on those ovals because they are rich and plentiful. And if Pato is within 100 points of the championship with eight rounds to go, knowing that six of the final eight are short ovals... you can make a run. Uh, you can go on a run, and Pato is capable of that. We've seen what he can do on an oval. I yeah. really like this team And in terms of the way... If you weren't going to get Alex Palo... I think the most exciting young driver and the guy that fits your team most is David Malukas, given what McLaren are strong at, because they are a very strong oval team in particular. They have been short, long form ovals in the last couple of years. They've been right up there challenging Penske and Ganassi and giving them a bloody nose. So I really really like the Malukas hire. I think he's going to be a very fun talent to watch. And let's be real here. Given McLaren are no longer the snooty corporate types as a shit poster, Malucas is a great social media guy to have in your team as well, on a side note. That's a great okay. foil Him to and Alex Pato. Rossi. It's, Him it's and Pato are going
1: to go on great. Him and Pato are going to be like the children asking dad, Alexander Rossi, if they can go to McDonald's, and Alexander Rossi's just like, we already stopped. Um, I love the potential of this team, but this isn't little old Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports anymore. This is McLaren... Expectations are raised. They have been raised because of the level of investment that you've put in this team. The potential's
0: got to start turning to real results. They need Mm. to win multiple races this year. There's no reason why they can't have at least three wins this year. That should be a minimum target. Three wins. And if you can get Pano in the top three of the standings, I think that would be a nice additional extra goal. And hey, if you really want to go and play on hard mode, see if you can get Alex Rossi back in the top six again, because that would you you might, you might need a backup man in the same way that mm-hmm. Dixon had Tony Khan back in the day. You know they need someone like Alex Rossi to be in there challenging every week as well, because he wasn't doing that last year. It was and, close, and that's a huge complete. component
2: as well. <laughs> last year, how Ganassi went on that. You know, I mean, they were great all year, and we'll get into them in a moment. Um But Pato had no backup last year. Not consistently. Not really. Um, If they want to make a title run, you've got to to have the other two pulling points off of your New Gardens, your Pelos, your Dixons. Um, And softening the impact if you have a bad weekend, because if someone else just takes full points out of you, that gives you a big, big asshole to climb out of.
0: Let's no. get into the big two. The first up on the in the red corner of the big two, Team Penske. We all we you know the score. It's an unchanged lineup. Joseph newgon the reigning Indy 500 champion in the number two car. Scott McLaughlin in the number three car, and Will Power in the number twelve. Well, we talked about big winners on the oval side of the calendar. It's impossible for me not to mention Joseph Newgarden in that conversation with seven ovals on the calendar and Newgarden won four ovals last year out of the five on last year's calendar, including the big one, the 500. I'd argue he's the biggest winner on paper of this calendar shift besides maybe Pado Award, but there is an elephant in the room. Joseph's been struggling to turn right lately.
1: That's so weird to think about because his first wins were on road courses and he's never been a terrible road course racer, but he's just been off of his for- recent form. He's
0: but been I off think the ball. One,
1: one thing that I think is going to help, Andrea, I know, I'm not saying this because I know you weren't a big fan of bus bros, but that no. show stopped now. Joseph now is like trying to refocus on trying to get another serious title trying to get a sick in Indianapolis 500. He is now in the back nine of his career. He is no longer the young child that I came to love in the mid-2010s.
0: Um, what, what I will say to you in response to that, RJ, is I loved hearing the news that he was leaving that bus bros and leaving his old social media team behind, not because of my personal feelings on bus bros. It was a fine series that served its purpose um, for Joseph in terms of a personality. And he's always been a likable person. And Joseph's always put his best foot forward when it comes to trying to promote the series. I've given him the benefit of the doubt on that for years. And that's not going to change just because I wasn't a big fan of bus bros. But I love the fact that Joseph Newgarden won the big one. He won the Indy 500 last year. That pretty much wipes your slate clean of any real criticism for your season, given how IndyCar itself values that race above all offers and he still made changes to his personal and lifestyle choices beyond that. Because that is a man that says to me, he knows his season low-key was kind of a disappointment, even though he won the 500. I love this move. I think it's I mean, fantastic. He's
1: low-key greater to fit in the standings after it all went to shambles after he wrecked a gateway.
2: Yeah, I mean, after that, that was that felt like... That felt like the title truly slipping away from any chance of him getting it last year because on road courses down the stretch, he and Penske as a whole were shot to pieces that's by Polo, so... Dixon, and Ganassi as a whole.
1: That's so weird. That's not, that's not Penske's standard. They should be good at everything.
0: Pensky won one race on a road and street track in 2023, and that was Scott McLaughlin in Barber, and some would argue that was only because Roman Grosjean's car had a, had a push-to-pass failure two-thirds of the way into that one.
1: Well, let's Qu- talk about Scott McLaughlin, because now that Newgarden had this strugglish season, McLaughlin was the top guy in the championship, which is, again, an incredible thing for a driver who had no single-seater background prior to entering IndyCar, and now you might be thinking...
0: Is he the leader of this team? You know, it's wild when Rick Mears was, was recommending Scott McLaughlin and I didn't see it for the first year and a half of McLaughlin's run. And now I made the argument that he now might be the best all-round driver in this team. Like, McLaughlin is is him. And I think, I, I think his back and half of last year went very under the radar. I did the numbers on it. I'm pretty sure his average finish and qualifying position was around five in the back half of last year. Mm -hmm. That's championship-level form um, from McLaughlin. Obviously, everybody glossed over it because of the summer of Palo and obviously him going on to completely railroad the title. But McLaughlin stepped up in a big way in the back half of the year and became the consistent four-guy that
2: Penske has. Every race after Indy, top 10, including three second-place finishes on the podium.
1: That's the one thing he's missing is an Indy 500. It's just like Colton Herta; He's missing a good Indianapolis 500 run to truly put himself over the top. And He's just another never had a
2: call for it. <sighs> 14th at the 500 last year. And, I mean, Joseph came on late that
0: race, but really Penske otherwise had a very quiet 500. Again, it's just, it's just New Garden got on the right strategy and this car came alive in the last 50 laps of that 500. It was really peculiar mm. how, that, how that 500 played out. But I, I would still say Penske's overall 500 pace, I think, is still a little bit up in the air. I just don't know how it's going to be when we actually get to May and how it plays out. But I still have every confidence in at least two-thirds of this lineup. And New Garden and McLaughlin should still be riding contention all year long especially if again with new garden and the ovals he is going to be a threat down the stretch almost inevitably no matter what the championship situation looks like unless penske has an abomination of the first half of the year which i don't think will happen the question for me is is that what do you do with willpower
1: I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt. We talked about it after the season. Willpower was not going... I mean, his wife almost died. It was really, yeah. really, really
2: sad. With no hyperbole. Cool. His wife yeah. legitimately almost died. And nobody um, is going to perform up to their standard while that
0: is hanging over them in their personal life. That is... Yeah. Man, if, if you ever watched the 100 uh, Days to Windy, I've said it before, cheese, 100 okay. Days to Windy, the episode on Willpower Family is a powerful watch it's the best episode of that series and it really goes into a lot of detail as to like will and liz are inseparable like she's joined at the hip with that man and so for her being in a hospital bed and communicating via phone for months at a time that could not have been easy given how much he adores his partner um and and their son so i mean I, i can understand last year he was off the boil the the facts of the matter is though he's 43 years old this year he didn't have a great 2023, and I, I did some digging, and, I, and this was also, at age 43, was the time Roger Penske asked Helio Castroneves to step aside as a full-time driver in his team and yeah. brought in the guy we now know as Scott McLaughlin. It was the just same age. Garden. No, it was New Garden. It was, it was New Garden first, yeah. But like this was the age 43 season where they asked Helio to step aside. We're now entering Will Power's age 43 season. He's been one of Penske's loyalist troops over the last 15, 20 years now. But I, you well, know, this is the, that last year was the first year in American
2: open wheel racing. Since 2007, where he did not win a race.
1: Since 2006. Six. I remember, I remember his first win. It was on the streets of Las Vegas. They look a little bit different than they do in F1, but that was his first... Career win, again, in the Champ Car World Series, a championship that does not exist anymore. He'd won a race every year since up until this year. Since he
2: has run full-time in the Unified Series under Penske, he has won a race every year, except for last year.
1: Until last year. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt because, like, I do, too. He's still still showing signs of quickness, and I hope if this does end up being Will Power's last full-time ride in the sunset, that it's a good one.
0: I hope it's a good one. We all love willpower. He's a goofball, but we love we love him as a as an overall goofball and engaging personality. He, he shoots from the hip. He has his heart on his sleeve, and he's an incredible character and personality. He's been the, one of the backbone drivers of this series since, since its unification. But I said it earlier in the show, and I will say it again: I've got a feeling Christian Lingard will end up in that twelve car next year. I'm nailing my flag to the mast on this one. You heard it here first. I think Roger Penske will make a play for Christian Lingard in that 12th seat, and I think this might be the year where he asks Will to step aside. And then that's and if that happens, Justin Newgarden is going to be the, the grizzled
1: veteran of the team, and that's going to make me feel ancient, ancient, ancient.
0: At 33,
1: which is just so weird. <laughs> and you want to feel even more ancient let's talk about chip ganassi race i mean they've they've been the standard of the series but they've got two drivers that are beginning their indycar careers one that's starting their first full-time season and the two best drivers in the sport the rookies are Tiffin simpson in the number four and Linus lundquist in the number eight the driver starting his first full season after winning rookie of the year by default was marcus armstrong in the number 11 Scott Dixon was runner-up in the championship with a great year that would stand up to any other season, except for the year that Alex Palou had. He is the two-time and reigning IndyCar Series champion. Uh, we mentioned Instagram meme account Flacco811. Uh, sometimes when they talk about like a play, a great player having a great game, they'll just zoom in on a picture of themselves. They'll just take the same picture and zoom in on it.
2: Him. That's Alex Pillow.
0: Him. Him. <laughs>
1: So let's talk about the rookies first. Um, Linus Lundquist was spectacular in the handful of races that he
0: got, and Chip Ganassi was so eager to have him. Apparently, he saw one drive of him at Indianapolis's road course when they had that autumn race last year, and apparently he made Linus an offer that he couldn't refuse. Um, it was like, what's it going to take? I will price Michael Shank out of this out of this driver. And that's exactly oh, what happened.
2: I like winners, and I think you're a winner. <laughs> I love Chip for that. And, and you know like, what I love
1: is that, is like, Linus, we were like understandably upset that he didn't get a ride after winning the Indian Nets title, and then Linus just got back pay with interest. Oh,
0: I cannot believe... The whole field let this man slip into Chip Ganassi's fingers. What the hell is wrong with you, IndyCar? This man was a stud in IndyNext in 2022. And we were just like, nah, no, no, no one can flip the bill to make this work. This dude is Mm. quick. This dude Mm -hmm. is sensational. He was like, he walked into a Shank team and was immediately showing fast 12 pace. And that was a setup that's not the best in IndyCar. And he was quick as hell. He was running top 10 level kind of pace from the start. He's going to chip. And if you believe that the Chip Ganassi team is a machine that gets the best out of its drivers, there is no better fit for this man in IndyCar. I think he's going to be a very, very exciting talent to watch this year. I'm very much looking forward to what he does in that eight car because... That's your insurance policy.
3: That's the that's terrified. Horror.
0: That's the terror. That's, you've got Dixon and below. You can afford to gamble on your number eight driver. And Lindquist is an insurance policy. I, I think that's going to be an incredible pairing to have him in, in that lineup with, with Chip. I'm scared. This guy could be a stud. He could have the upside that Marcus Erickson probably didn't have in that team, which is scary if that holds up.
1: That is pretty scary. Um,
0: but there's another rookie to consider. Kiffin Simpson in the number, they brought back the number four car for this.
1: Yeah. The number associated with when Alex Sonardi first broke into cart in 1996. That was his number from 96 to 97. He eventually became the champion in 97 and carried the number one in 98. I think, and it's easy to do because his Indy Nets form was not good. But I think Kiffin Simpson is not getting fair due from the IndyCar crowd. Like, and I think the reason why is because his form in LMP2 suggests that there is a driver that is more than what he has shown in IndyNets. And I know that LMP2 is a pro category, but when Simpson is in the car, he is often pitted against... Full-blown factory drivers, the best and the best in sports car racing, and he has more than held his own. He is the yeah, reason on lap why— time
2: average, he was very solid. And right now, a lot of that—currently, that LMP2 grid uh, that we saw at Daytona, a lot of those are, frankly, refugees waiting for a seat in yeah. a factory hypercar program. You have very serious drivers, and he was holding his own with them.
1: Now, I'm not saying that Kiffin Simpson is going to win races right out of the box. I think even his own people have said, you know, we're keeping expectations modest, but I I also think he's come in, like, grossly underrated because his potential in Indy Nets just hasn't come through yet. And, I mean, it's easy to understand why, you know, he's he's a rich driver who's probably footing a lot of the bill for his ride. But yeah. um, I'm more optimistic than most on Kiffin.
0: I hope so. If we're looking at it purely from his Indian X form, this does feel like it's a year early. But as you said, I can't sit here and gas up Christian Rasmussen based off his NMP2 form he showed at Daytona earlier this year and not do the same for Kiffin Simpson, who absolutely, as as RJ and Cam can attest, has absolutely held his own in in a sports car environment as a young teenager um, with some very talented and gifted drivers in that category. Like the upside is there. I just hope he can convert what he has shown in a sports car into single seater racing because the jury, unfortunately, for that portion of his career is still up in the air a little bit. It still feels like he could have done with an extra year of seasoning in Indy Next just to see where he's at but I understand what I've wanted to accelerate this, especially if he's prepared to pay for his own ride. If, if you're prepared to pay for your own ride, then fair enough. I, yeah. I, I, I can't sit there and question that. I'm fine with that personally. So let's see what he can do in that sense. Also, big year for Marcus Armstrong. Big year for him. Well, he was rookie of the year last year. Um, he was 20th in the standings. I was a big fan of Marcus Armstrong on road and street courses last year. He was a regular... Top ten contender had a couple of really strong performances taken away from him at Road America and at Portland last year. Where I remember at Road America he was running top three on leaders' pace, um, and was boxed early to for Chip to kind of hedge his bets in case there was a weird or awkward caution late on, and he was the victim of that. He got the wrong end of that caution call, and uh, Marcus could have had a podium that day, and that would have been a real strong performance from him. Portland, he was running top eight. Bad pit stop. It's just one of them things. Look, he's a he's a podcasting goofball, so I kinda have to respect him to a degree because that's basically me in a nutshell. Um from Screaming Meals himself. But the guy is which is is
1: not dinner which is not like dinner with racers for zoomers, by the way. It has an entirely different (laughs) format. It is
0: indeed. But um what I would say is is that he's come like this this is the worst year to possibly learn how to oval because we've got seven of them coming off and he's never done an oval race until this year. He's taken on the full calendar this year as opposed to being on a part-time schedule. So he's going to have to learn. He's going to have to learn quick. Um, and that might be a shortcoming this year because we just don't know what he's going to be on ovals. Chip ganassi's not a bad place to be an oval driver, but it's not oh. necessarily the best. If that saying, makes I, sense? I would actually say that I would actually say for
2: them, on the oval equipment maybe on short ovals not amazing i don't mm-hmm. think he could have better equipment to try and run at this 500 though
0: yeah agreed they're gonna you you, you're an excellent 500 team not so much on short ovals i think, I think that's fair to say um mm-hmm. but um i'm, I'm I mean, excited to see what if he can carry on bringing that sort of top if he can keep that top 10 floor on road and street courses and can add modest gains on ovals He's going to be absolutely fun. Yeah, I think I'd
1: rather learn ovals in this environment at Ganassi than what Chris and Lungard had to learn ovals with at Real Letterman-Lanigan before the engineering shakeup. Garbo. Uh, the big two. Dixon, the runner-up. Plo, the champion. Um,
2: Plo, uh, D- Dixon remains at 44. Him. Um any other season last year and he would have had a dominant championship win instead he got his doors blown off
0: <laughs> kind of says it all really 575 point season last year three wins in the last four races only was out of the top 10 once as a direct result of pano award dive bombing him and he lost the championship to alex polo by 76 points
1: he was eliminated before the final race of the season, which again just goes to show like how good Outsbelow was last year. I don't even want to. I don't <laughs> want to ask the question if this is the year where he hits the cliff.
0: It's, it's, it's like every time we think the cliff is coming, he finds new ways to win races and stay being him. It, oh, it didn't, know, it's it didn't the show.
2: Top it didn't show at Daytona because the. uh... Let's just say. The O1 Cadillac sins were not Dixon's own. No, they were not. Yeah. and
0: look, look, I, I'm not gonna question Scott Dixon's ability. I will wait for the cliff to happen because he's still stupid good. I mm-hmm. wonder if there's a little bit of grit in Dixon's character, knowing that Alex Polo is slowly taking over what's been his team for the better part of a decade now, because um, the reality is Palo is going for his third Aster Cup in the last four years. And honestly, and this is not a bold statement, I don't think, Palo has arguably been the best driver in the Indy 500 for the last three years too, and has been super unlucky not to win at least one of them. Definitely. I mean, we
1: talk about like how Palo's only deficiency is on short ovals, eighth third and seventh last year and if you include texas a third. <laughs> if you remember
2: right right if you remember the 2021 f1 season bad subject i know mm. remember the russian grand prix when lewis wins he sees max pull into second place after a grid penalty star like how the hell did you get here That was Joseph Newgarden. That was below every single time you think, oh, he's just having a middle-of-the-road day on a short. Wait, why is he seventh?
1: I don't think he has any weaknesses in his game. And among all the other benefits, he's got a brand-new sponsor. He's ingratiated himself so much into the team that Chip Ganassi is going to put him in a Cadillac V-Series R
0: at the 24 Hours of Le Mans after an impressive performance at Daytona. And he pitched was Andretti's lead mighty. sponsor. Yeah, he was, he was fantastic at, the, at Daytona. He was in the top 10 for average pace, despite his first ever run in a prototype race. This dude is him. He is a freak. Uh, I, I cannot sum this up anymore. He is one <laughs> you of the know, best drums on the planet today.
2: You know, after uh, after mid-Ohio, he really fell off last year. He, I mean, he only racked up second, eighth. Third, third, seventh, seventh, first, and third to close out the year. Terrible his worst season. finish
1: all year was eighth.
0: I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah I it, His
2: floor—it's it, you win your titles on your bad days, and Alex Pelot does not have bad days anymore.
0: He didn't have one. He like he, he just didn't have one. Like and and yeah, he's pinched. His the bad DHL day was the Indy five hundred. He finished fourth, <laughs> and was and had the greatest qualifying run in five hundred history to set pole for that race. Like it's. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> I still remember this fir- his first lap of that qualifying run where he did a 235 mile an hour lap and my jaw hit the ground. I was yeah. just like, what? Um, he- he's ridiculous. We- I- I- we've gassed him up on this show enough. He's arguably the best racing driver on the planet today. And mm-hmm. he is probably going to be everybody's favorite going in to win everything this year and he's now doing it in yellow and red because they pinched dhl as their lead sponsor so the marquee car on the grid is going to be in dhl yellow and red gorgeous livery by the way um and yeah uh the only question mark i have and it's a small one is is chip stretching to five full-time cars a bit too much that's the only question mark i've got it's interesting i know it didn't work
1: for andretti but like i don't know some teams can bring in more people and like excel at it i'm not expecting like ganassi to have all five cars inside the top five in the standings i'm not even expecting all five of their cars to win but i think they may handle it better than some teams have done when they have expanded because i think the only team that's really done it so far is like penske
2: well and and it's got to be better than the last time, uh, like Ganassi did it because Ganassi at one point was running, um, just a two, gl- bevy of two glorified pay
1: drivers basically. I love Charlie Kimberley's great, Max but, Chilton had his moment in the sun, but like, you no, know, this
2: yes, is better. But the pro, but uh, the, the driving talent is better, but yeah. stretching your engineering talent that way, um, I think we've seen it a lot in IndyCar that it just you have more bullets in the chamber, but the bullets aren't as strong. Um I do think that if you're going to give someone a challenge in that situation, giving that challenge to Scott Dixon and Alex Palou, those two are probably up to the task. But they have to not lose sight of the fact that they are Chip Ganassi and they have been the best team here for a couple of years. Yeah. And they really don't want to dilute what makes them great.
0: Definitely that's, not. That's the only concern. Yeah, and like you know
1: they sold their nascar program things have not gone well so much on the uh, the sports car side of things despite a few wins in imsa you know so they've real so indycar has been their strongest point uh wow this is a, this is a good looking grid I can't believe how much we talk about this for a series that we're all down on.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's down, but it's interesting. And that kind of makes it more fun. I've, I've listed out a smorgasbord of uh, topics. Jason, get your notebook out. Uh, I know you're listening in somewhere. Um, so the questions I pose to you are six in this case, because it's a lot more fun than talking about F1 and MotoGP predictions. Um, first of all, Rookie of the Year. Uh, Linus Lundqvist,
1: and I don't think it'll be close. I know I talked up Kiffin Simpson. I think it'll be better than expectations, but Linus Lundqvist, clear rookie to your favorite. Rasmussen's not running all the races, and I don't know what Bluntquist has underneath him.
2: Mm. Um, copy and paste that answer, Linus Lundqvist. Me free, I Linus Lundqvist for me. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to raise some eyebrows this year.
0: I probably shouldn't have put the Rookie of the Year question in there for no other reason than he hasn't actually got a lot of competition in the field because Rasmussen's only on a part-time schedule. Um, But, hey, Marcus won it last year on a part-time schedule, so who knows how it could shake out in the end. You never quite know for sure. Um, But, yeah, um, in triplicate. Luke, Linus and Chris, for me, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. Indy 500 winner. How do award is due? He's been good
1: at this race the last couple of years. I would argue McLaren, pound for pound, is the best Chevrolet-powered team at the Indianapolis 500. Paddle Award is one of the strongest all-around drivers, and I think this is the year that he takes a big step forward, and that's going to start with an Indianapolis 500 win.
2: Cam? <laughs> Paddle Award is due. But you know who else is due? <laughs> Victim of highway robbery last year. I think this year, provided the cartoon anvil stay away, the spears are dropped, Alex Pillow completes his infinity gauntlet of IndyCar achievements with an Indy 500.
0: I'm with Cam on this one, I'm also going to say Alex Pillow. I think this is the one that Pillow has been missing. And I think I said before he's been the best. I think he's been the best all-round driver at the Indy 500 for the last three years now. And I think he's just never had a clear run. He was unlucky not to win it in, 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 in against Helio as well a couple of years ago. But people forget he was second that day. Um, and he by was, not very much distance, by less than half a second. And and Palo was right there. He's been excellent at this race from day one. He's been excellent at just about fucking everything since day one. And I super think super Formula alum. Yeah, and I think I think it's I think Alex Polo wins the five hundred this year. Who has the higher average championship finishing spot between their cars between McLaren and Andretti? I'll take a weighted average on this one, and we'll see how it shakes out. Um, I'll go first. I think McLaren has a slightly higher floor this year. I will say McLaren over Andretti
2: by a nose. I think McLaren has a higher ceiling and floor, and I'm really curious to see how Malukas does now that he's mm. going to have top-tier equipment under him. Um, And I think Pato will have... I think he will right some of the wrongs of the last year, I would say McLaren.
1: Give me Andretti. Wow. I think that there, it can't be another year of Andretti leaving opportunities on the table. Not when they brought in someone like Craig Hampson. Not when they made a big deal about downsizing being a leaner, meaner team. Not when they brought in Marcus Erickson. And not when you have Colton Hurd and Kyle Kirkwood already there. I think it'll be Andretti.
0: I think if everything goes to plan, I f- and I think he cuts out the errors... I wouldn't rule out Kyle Kirkwood for a top six championship finish. That's how high I am on KK in that sense. Best Indy 500 part-timer.
1: You know, you're not going to like
2: this. Uh, No, he's not
1: going to like this. But Kyle Larson has the equipment underneath of him. I mean... It's going to be a big draw because he's a name in NASCAR. Everybody loves when a NASCAR driver does double duty runs. World 600 and the Indy 500 on the same day. It's McLaren equipment. And like, you know, I don't doubt his raw ability.
2: I'm going to go with Larson as well, because as a former member of the Kyle Larson cheerleader club, that boy can drive. And he's going to have very solid equipment in the the Mick Hendrick.
1: I guess my one reservation would be, like, low-key, he has been very crash-prone since winning his title.
2: He has been. I think some of that is... I don't know. Sometimes Hendrick bullies you, and sometimes Hendrick gets bullied. Mm -hmm. Doing the bullying this year, that's Mm. for sure. Um... But I do think
0: da 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 on a
2: pure raw talent perspective, I think he's probably going to have one of the better five hundreds of the part-timers. I think he's going to have a, a significantly better one because I would say Sato, he's got two of these things, but RLL are the absolute pits on ovals. The other thing that makes me
1: aware of Sato is that he's now transitioning into his second alive as an executive. Well,
2: the mm. more miles he covers at the 500, the less meetings he has to go to.
0: That's It's the Kamui logic. It's the Kamui logic. Coach K, in this case, Coach Takuma, which I love that idea, by the way. Um, for me... The, look, the urge to take Carl Larson is very strong here. Carl Larson is an, like, this talent has never been the issue. He is a special yeah. driver. There are many people out there we that just believe. I
1: still like him because he said a racism in 2020. That's the. Thing.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's a bit of a hurdle. But what I will say yeah. is that Carl, like, like, I think it was like, Carl Larson is an incredible talent. There are many people, because of his dirt tracking, that genuinely think he's the best racing driver in the world. Well, I, don't, I wouldn't go that far with it. He absolutely is a special talent. I'm not arguing in that which is why i'm taking christian rasmussen i'm taking christian rasmussen because you are on crack ed Carpenter racing always does well at the 500 i think rasmussen is a very slept on talent and if you can guarantee one thing one thing about ecr they'll get it figured out for the 500 give me christian rasmussen so next question how many different winners did we get?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So, in 2023, I mean, we had fewer winners than we usually do, mostly because two of them were kind of, you know, blotting out the sun for the rest of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Could they be numbers nine and ten by any chance? It was seven last year.
1: let Who, to see. Um, I think we do get... I think we get more. I think we get eight different winners.
0: What do you reckon, Cam? Are you going on the upper end of that, or are you going on the lower end of that? I'm going to go nine. That's very high. Um, I think nine, a, a because third, I of think, the, a third of the field. Wow. I think okay. a third of
2: the field. I do think that there is going to be a little bit of that blotting out of the sun from... I'd say three of them. I Given the schedule rejig, I think three of them are going to rack up a number of those wins.
0: I think the ovals can will be... I tell you who. I think the ovals will be a bit of a crapshoot. I'm gonna be different from actually RJ.
2: Opposite on that one. I actually think there's two drivers who are gonna monopolize the Ovals.
0: I actually think I'm gonna go on the lower end of that. I'm gonna say seven again this year. I think mm-hmm. Pado will certainly interject, but I think at least four of the big six seats that we know of are going to win probably multiple races, but I would say there's going to be a couple of wild cards thrown in. Then the ovals normally throw up at least one shock winner a year. Um, So I would say seven again this year on that one. And of course the final question, who lifts the Astor cup? Who do you think? Scott Dixon gets number seven this year, in my opinion, I think the record. I think the short oval shift will actually hurt Polo a little bit more than ex- expected. And I think the man who will come alive at the end and take advantage of the chaos will be Scott Dixon. I think Dixon will win his seventh faster Cup this year. That's bold. I know. It's bold It's bold to say that Scott Dixon is going to win the title, which is weird to say in 2024, but yeah, here we well, are.
1: Well, he never did successfully defends his championships. He just wins them in multitudes and spreads them all out over
0: the years. Um, We know you're picking, Art. We know you two no. are picking. Um, Just say Alex Polo. You know you want I, to. I
2: was, I was trying to word it. Thanks coward because (laughs) no coward i'm picking exactly you think i'm picking because i don't think dixon will be able to capitalize enough with the presence of new garden and Pado in the field on those short ovals to make a big enough dent in polo and let's not forget polo was probably a couple wins short of where he could have been last year given uh various cartoon anvils Either going into his side pod or making his front wing a little bit crooked. That front wing being crooked only dropped him down to second place. What a problem to have. Audrey?
1: I I'm gonna be predictable as well. Joseph Newgarden is due a third He's series sicko. title. <laughs> Joseph Newgarden, it's not even it's not even because of the shift towards adding more ovals. It's it's all about the new attitude it's all about the focus this is a guy who has won everything and is not satisfied he wants to win more he aches to win more he wants to be when 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 all is said and done in the inner circle of the all-time greats and that's going to start with a third national title
0: you know the funny thing is you, you 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 two's picks are completely valid like I said, Newgarden's the biggest winner of the calendar shift, in my opinion, and he's Joseph Newgarden. Of course, he can win the Astor Cup. He, he, <laughs>
2: it, he's got to get. He's got to figure out how to go in that other direction a little bit again.
0: If he does look out because
2: mm, it's mm.
0: joseph he can absolutely run a field over if he has to we know how to, uh, no one has won more indie car races in the last four years than him so if anyone can do it joseph can and of course alex polo is a valid pick i i, <laughs> I want um, i openly admit i wanted to be a little bit different on this one because i was thinking is it nine or ten this year because you I, know I, I, it, there's it, another aspect of this go on
2: What if his short oval form keeps getting better? Because it has been.
0: If his short oval form keeps getting better, fucking cancel Christmas. It's over. (laughs) It's over for everyone. We're talking
2: about this dude's short oval form being weak, and, like... He's a minor
0: lower than eighth. Last it's, a, year. It, it's a minor weakness. Like it, it, like it. Re, like it re, oh, oh most. he only it's got a, one podium. It's a, we,
1: it's a weakness in the sense that Ken Griffey Jr. only hit fifty-six <laughs> home runs in nineteen ninety-eight. <1998. laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a perfect note to to wrap this up on because I do I literally have a Gangriffy jersey on my wall as I finish this podcast up. Um and yeah, it's it's, it's going to be a fascinating season. Maybe not the best vibes going into it for IndyCar per se there's a lot of question marks over the future say, this of this is season.
2: Uh, incredibly enthralling, exciting shambling corpse that we're all going to tune into this year.
0: And we're going to make the most of it like we always do here on motorsport 101. And you can look forward to that over the coming weeks. As mentioned, the first race of the year, the streets of St. Petersburg on March 10th, next Sunday weekend, it gets its whole day to itself because that'll also be round two in formula one in Saudi Arabia and Jeddah, but that will be on the Saturday night. Do not remember, do not forget it's going to be a Saturday race because of Ramadan on March 10th. Um, best wishes to everyone celebrating that. Of course, We'll be back for episode 500 of Motorsport 101: The 50 Most Important Moments in Motorsport 101 History, as picked by our esteemed panel of couch dwellers. As you do, and of course, the Formula One review of Bar Rain. Good luck, gentlemen, and uh, we'll catch you on the next time because we've done two hours and forty-five minutes on this nearly because that was a hell of a ride. But I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, <laughs> I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. We're all going to go off to bed and have a snuggle. Uh, See you next week. Sayonara. Later, y'all.
2: I I don't don't even know how to respond to that.
0: Are you a big spoon or a little spoon guy, (laughs) Cam?
2: Bold to assume any kind. (laughs) You're
3: out here having sets, well I've had enough. <laughs>